Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I'm Seth, the champion of Champions Road. And I'm Yuka Eric in the Impossible Lair. Now, we've got to be very careful because this week on the show, we'll be getting ready to snap some photos of the elusive Pokemon of the Lentil region. Uh, dude, I'm super excited about new Pokemon Snap and all, but you know that it's just a game, right? Besides, there's a lot more to cover in this week's news roundup. If only I had my trusty canine companion with me on this expedition. You know, in the name of research, we should probably count down the top five goodest boys in Nintendo history and pick the best one for this trip. Yeah, and that's something we're doing in the real world for the show and we're even going to embrace the feline side of things when we break down all of the new details of Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Ah, oh, fascinating feline expedition to go along with our other adventures. Ah, but what my cohort doesn't understand, and never will, is that we're just not researching cats and dogs, but also frogs. In this week's Indie Showcase, we're sharing our notes on Studio Pixel's Caro Blaster. Oh, all right, guys. I think I need to snap him out of it. It's time to go. Snap, you say? New Pokemon Snap? Come, friends! The expedition is afoot! <sighs> it's time to go all in. man are you good or are, are you back out on earth with me are you are you uh still in the lentil region yeah um <clears throat> yeah um uh i'm good i'm sorry i just got a little carried away there i'm just really excited about this week's episode i'm sorry man i i mean look i'm excited to nintendo dropped a massive amount of news on us this week there is so much to get into uh, but before we do, we want to welcome new and returning listeners to All in a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show, where each and every Saturday, no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned. We are happy to have you guys with us this week. And yeah, again, we've got so much to talk about. But before we do, sir, what's been going on this week? Yeah, guys, sorry again about that. It's been kind of a weird week for me for a couple of <laughs> reasons. So... Uh, first off, I'll just throw it out there. If you're into horror games at all, they released the Little Nightmares 2 demo on the eShop this past week. Yes. I, I did get a chance to play that. And I can confirm is Little Nightmares. It's just more Little Nightmares. It's It very much feels like, even though it's new characters, it very much feels like it's picking up right where the game left off from a gameplay perspective, at least. And... Uh, they they do add a wrinkle of a second character in there. I don't know if the game's going to be full co-op. I don't know if you're going to have a, two characters with you throughout the entire campaign. But right. we'll see how that goes. But if you're a fan of Little Nightmares, it certainly seems like you are absolutely going to love that. So again, the demo is currently available on the Nintendo eShop. Check it out. Uh, as far as the length of the first game went the demo is actually pretty meaty you actually get to do uh 
quite a bit. It was quite a bit longer than I thought it would be. So check it out. Yeah, we're talking about probably 30 minutes or so. So, I mean, if this game ends up being as long as the first one, that's actually a pretty good chunk. But whatever the case may be, I liked it too. Um, I, I played through the demo myself and I mean, I wanted to keep playing. So I guess that's the best sign of any demo, right? Yeah. Uh, I did also, obviously we've been talking a lot about Way Forward over the past couple weeks, had Adam Tierney on the show. That right. really you know, got me in a Way Forward kind of mood. So I uh, put in my copy of Mighty Switch Force Collection this past week, and I've been playing quite a bit of that. As a matter of fact, uh, if you've never played the Mighty Switch Force games on the 3DS, very Shantae-esque in terms of you know, a lot of the sensibilities. If you've played Shantae, you'll probably be right at home with the feel of the game. Although Shantae doesn't have a blaster. But if you <laughs> right. like if you like Way Forward, if you like games like Shantae, I think you'd really enjoy Mighty Switch Force. Again, they were 3DS eShop games. So the individual titles aren't super huge. However, the collection is four games large. You've got Mighty Switch Force, Mighty Switch Force 2, Mighty Switch Force Hyperdrive Edition, which is essentially an HD remake of the first game with a ton of extra content. And then you've got uh, a game that I actually wasn't even aware of, a game I didn't even know existed called Mighty Switch Force Academy, which is up to four-player multiplayer. So you and I may have to to try that online sometime. So That'd be cool. Been jumping in and out of that occasionally, doing a couple stages, a couple puzzles here and there. I have also been messing around on another indie game. I've mentioned it a couple times over the past few weeks, but I really have been putting a lot of time into Horus this past week. Especially for an indie game, it is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Legitimately, it's like retail-sized adventure. It is a wow. It is a pretty big game, and it is weird, man. It is really <laughs> weird. And You've told me some things. It sounds very strange. Man, it's... I'll definitely share my full thoughts on the game once uh, I finish it. But very briefly, you play as this British robot named Horus. It's like Rosie from the Jetsons meets Paddington, basically. Very naive, very simple-minded kind of character. Uh, but it's the game is, is not, it's a weird game, man. It's, it's just, it's just a weird (laughs) game. It's ultimately a puzzle platformer. They do pepper in a ton of other different gameplay styles though. There's, we say things occasionally on the show are referential. Those things have nothing on Horus. Horus is just constant pop culture, movie and video game references. It's practically built on them. It sounds like they left nothing off the table. It really didn't. It legitimately feels like the developers of the game didn't know what they wanted to make, so they just made everything. <laughs> Man. Ge- genuinely, that's what the game feels like. It's it's really hard to describe in a lot of respects. There's a lot of things that are fairly standard about the game, but there's a lot of stuff that's just really, really out there, especially in terms of the narrative and the presentation. So, again, I'll have my full thoughts on the game once I beat it, but, man, it's a weird game, man. 
Top level thoughts. Weird. It is a weird game. But to finish out my week, I had another kind of weird, bizarre experience yesterday when the first original MCU content dropped on Disney+. Plus. Ah, WandaVision. Yeah, I watched the first couple episodes of WandaVision yesterday, and that's a weird show, man. (laughs) That's a a weird show. I I like it. They've presented, and obviously we kind of knew this was going to be the case from all the marketing, but at least for the first couple episodes, they've presented it like a you know, a bewitched parody for those who are aware of that old right. 1950s, 1960s uh, sitcom bewitched. They are, you know, something like I dream of genie. They really present it in that respect, but there's this kind of weird Pleasantville mystery stuff going on. So uh, yeah, admittedly the first couple episodes had their moments. They didn't blow me away. They didn't, nothing's really kicked off yet obviously there's some weirdness going on but nothing's really happened yet so so far it's just a small wonder basically yeah (laughs) sorry sorry i had to do it no you didn't but (laughs) but yeah the first two episodes of one division were essentially just old black and white sitcom parodies with some hints of some weirdness going on We'll see what happens. Uh, They're going to release more episodes in the following weeks, obviously. So we'll see where it goes. Obviously, I'm a big sucker for all the MCU stuff anyway. So I'm probably going to watch it regardless of how I feel about it. But uh, if anybody is interested, yes, the first two episodes of WandaVision are now available on Disney+. Plus, Cannot wait for a bunch of other stuff. Can't wait for Black Widow. Cannot wait for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier to drop. So, yeah. You know, really, really excited for 2021. It's it's exciting stuff. I I, I need to check out WandaVision still. And yeah, I, I you know, it, it is funny. I think after some time away, I do find myself missing the MCU a little bit. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's crazy. In 2020, not a single piece of MCU content was released. That's insane. That's got to be the first year they've been able to say that about since really Iron Man. It is. That's the first year that no show or movie nothing was released that furthered the mcu expanded universe storyline and obviously we all know why that happened but it is still weird to actually say well i'm sure they're going to more than make up for it in 2021 (laughs) oh yes oh yes we have a lot of catching up to do in 2021 2021 is going to be an amazing year for releases across all forms of media books movies television uh, maybe even music because a lot of people have been waiting on stuff and it feels like there's just going to be this massive explosion of media. We're already kind of starting to see it with yeah. everything that we have to talk about this week. So, but what about you, buddy? What you've been up to in the past week? Yeah. Well, speaking of things that have been, you know, hotly anticipated and finally exploding onto the scene, I've got just two words and those two words are Scott Pilgrim, baby. Oh, Man, I'm so happy this game is back in my life. It makes me nostalgic for, you know, 10 years ago. (laughs) It just, I don't know. There's something about it, man. There's something so cozy about this game. Like, it's exactly as as good as as we remember. Um, It's still amazing. 
And now I have it on my switch and all is right with the world. And, you know, <laughs> that's to say nothing of the fact that limited run just yesterday uh, did have their pre-orders go live for the physical versions of the game. Yes. Including the beautiful KO edition that I had to immediately snag up. And, um, that's all live on their site right now. Open pre-orders for the next six weeks. So highly, highly recommend folks take advantage of that. Yeah, even if you can't get the KO edition, honestly, do try to get a physical copy of this game. That is going to be, it's going to be something to own. Definitely. If there's like, even if you're an, you know, an all digital person, I have plenty of digital games, you know, myself, but even if you're an all digital person, if you were to only ever buy one physical game, I think it would, you know, it would be this one. This is the one where if this game does get delisted again, you don't want to be, you know, left high and dry. You want to have a physical copy of this game for your Nintendo Switch. And man, the game's just immaculate. If you've never played it, uh, it's the best 2D beat em up of all time. Just full stop. Um, and Anamanaguchi's soundtrack is still as amazing as ever. The visuals, the controls, the combat. I mean, it's just, it fires on all cylinders. I love that game so much. It, I, I haven't had the chance to play it since it re-released yet, but I, I will be remedying that uh, very, very soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to do some co-op for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, another game that I actually kind of started for the first time on my Switch, I bought this game on sale a few months back, but The Outer Worlds on switch. Okay. I've been playing a little bit of this this week because okay. private division and obsidian put out a patch, um, to sort of optimize the game a little bit better for switch to make it run better. Cause you know, when the game came out, a lot of folks found it to be basically unplayable on switch. The frame rate was apparently just so bad and, um, and it just ran horribly at launch. Uh, they have since patched it and that's, what's kind of encouraged me to dip my toes in the water. Um, I did play this game when it initially released on PS4. So it's kind of interesting to come into the Switch version and post-patch, I'm happy to report that the game is totally playable now. I'm having a lot of fun with it on my Switch. Just the fact that, you know, does it look worse than the PS4 version? Of course it does. You know, they've definitely scaled back the textures quite a bit. You know, the game already wasn't a looker, to be honest. It is definitely, like, not a high-budget game, but it is a very good game. And it's a game of this kind of scale. For those that don't know, The Outer Worlds, of course, is a big open-world RPG from Obsidian, kind of in the vein of, like, Fallout New Vegas, which is their probably their most famous game. And yeah, the game runs competently now on Switch. It's not the best way to play the game, but... If you have a Switch and you are itching for a game like that, uh, The Outer Worlds, I'm happy to report, is in good shape now and uh, and runs totally fine on Switch. I've been having a lot of fun with that. Nice. I did, I did obviously hear a lot of the things about the Switch's version of The Outer Worlds. And as much as we love the Nintendo Switch, we can objectively say that it is not the best way to place uh, quite a few AAA titles. Of course. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just never going to be as powerful as, as the other folks, but that's all right. And, and again, now you can play a game like this on your switch competently. And, uh, and I think have a, have a totally good experience. I'm, I'm having a good time with it. Uh, last thing I'll shout out before we move in, cause we do have a lot of news to get into is the splat fest. I've been having a lot of fun with the splat fest that's happening this weekend. And, uh, dude, <laughs> I actually, 
I had to text you after I saw Perla Marina's dialogue for the Splatfest. Yeah. Because it was just laugh out loud hilarious. It, it killed me. Now, some some of you out there may be wondering, is like, well, I thought they were done with the Splatfests. Yeah, it turns out Pearl so and Marina. They. Yeah, turns out <laughs> Pearl and Marina thought they were done with the Splatfest too. That was that's something they specifically reference when they're talking about this one. And they, there's <laughs> there's a few really really funny references in there. Even if you don't own Splatoon two, I do recommend checking out the the intro dialogue for the Mario thirty five Splatfest from this weekend. But that Splatfest is going on all weekend long. If you do have the game, jump in, jump into Team Super Mushroom or Team Superstar. Yes. I'm all about Team Superstar, personally. Um, like most Splatfests, I think an argument can be made for either side, but I got to go with the Superstar. I have the shirt, you know, I have the IRL shirt, uh, so I just, I, I got to rep Superstar. And and mostly, I wanted to play it to get the My Nintendo mission, to get another <laughs> set of stupid pins, Ugh, yeah. grumble, grumble. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there man again we have got a ton of news nintendo held nothing back it seems like this week so uh what do you say we get into it all right let's um, sorry sorry <laughs> sorry i almost did it again all right buddy let's get into it hey listen yes sorry bob we do have a lot of news stories to get to from this past week obviously we got a ton of new information about super mario 3d world plus Bowser's Fury. After they launched the website last week, Seth, you thought we were going to wind up getting a bunch of info. Turns out you were absolutely right. And so much info did come out about this game that it was frankly just too big to talk about here in the news. Stick around later on here in the show. We are going to do a full breakdown on everything we know about Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Yes, looking forward to that. Got a big old discussion on that coming up at the top of the show, so definitely stick around. Uh, but another thing that we kind of do need to speak about, and and normally this this would be kind of at the top of the list anyway. Uh, I am just going to kind of blaze through it because we've just got so much to get into. But we do have NPD sales data for both December 2020 and just 2020 in general. Now that we have all this data collected, so I am just going to kind of hit on this. Uh, really quickly before we move on. Hardware dollar sales reached $1.35 billion in December of 2020, which is an increase of 38% when compared to a, to a year ago. And this is actually the highest total that a December ever earned since 2013. So already that's impressive, but... Nintendo continued to dominate, was of course the best-selling hardware platform in both unit sales and dollar sales for both December and for 2020 in general. The streak continues, folks. That's insane. Here's what's crazy. Annual dollar sales of Switch hardware were the second highest for a platform, not just Nintendo, for a platform in U.S. history. Just like what? Annual dollar sales of the Switch hardware for 2020 were the second highest in U.S. history. The only thing that topped it was in 2008 with the Wii. (laughs) I mean, I got nothing. That's crazy. That's nuts. Of course, Animal Crossing New Horizons continued to do really well. Uh, It ended up being 2020's third best-selling title. And um, it actually, in 2020 achieved the highest physical dollar sales for a Nintendo published game since Wii Fit in 2010. 
And indeed, half of the top 20 best-selling games of December were published by Nintendo. Um, so that, again, is not shocking. Um, I do have in front of me here the top 10 games on the Nintendo Switch that sold in December 2020, and they are in order. Number one, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Taking the top spot. Congratulations. Number oh, two, course. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which, you know, it's going to be one or the other. <laughs> uh, continuing to climb, Mario 3D All-Stars at number three. Um, this is, as predicted, at number four, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, no doubt due to the release of Sephiroth happening in December. Uh, move some copies there. Number five, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Number six, Just Dance 2021. Number seven, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. Number eight, Super Mario Odyssey. Number nine, Breath of the Wild. And number 10, Super Mario Party. Those are your top 10 best-selling games on the Switch for December. Pretty much in line with what we were thinking based on last month's sales. Uh, but this is, I think, the more interesting conversation. We have got the 2020 year-end top 10 for Nintendo Switch. This is where everything fell for the year, the the sort of final countdown, as it were, cue the music. I've actually been really excited to hear hear these numbers. Yes, yes, me too. I, I've been really curious to see how things were going to fall when it comes to the year in general. So that's what I've got here. Number one, Animal Crossing New Horizons. It actually did it. It managed to beat out Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I can't believe it. despite the fact that mario kart was bundled for black friday animal crossing still came out on top so props there number two however is mario kart 8 deluxe shocking yeah number three super mario 3d all-stars wound up being the third best-selling switch title of the year no surprise there nope number four super smash brothers ultimate number five ring fit adventure no surprise I am a little surprised that it cracked the top five. For a peripheral-based game? Yeah, that's that's a little surprising to be one of Nintendo, considering how many amazing games that... I mean, l- look at all the, the first-party Nintendo games that we've talked about in these NPD top tens over the course of the year. Yeah. Most of them... I mean, obviously, uh, Nintendo games do maintain their value, so a lot of the games that are still three, four years old are still selling for $50, $60. They're still selling for new retail price. But even that, the extra 10, the extra 20, the extra $30 for peripheral-based games like Ring Fit, it's interesting that that still cracked the top five for the year. I think they were just smart in the way that they upped supply to meet demand, especially once, you know, COVID hit, people were locked inside. They wanted some way to continue to stay fit. And uh, and I think that really helped it. I knew it was going to be in the top 10. I am a little surprised that it wound up cracking the top five. So congrats to Ring Fit Adventure. It, uh... It kicked the MPD's butt just like it kicks my butt every day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number six, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Number seven, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. Number eight, Luigi's Mansion 3. Always happy to see that game do well. Uh, number nine, Super Mario Party. And number 10, Super Mario Odyssey. A lot of these games, no doubt, got a good bump due to the uh, huge end-of-year sale that Nintendo had for Black Friday. And a lot of these games that were at the bottom of the list here were available for between 30 and $40. So I think those moved a lot of units too for new Nintendo Switch owners. So yeah, Nintendo sold all the units and made all the money in 2020. No surprise uh, about that. Still a little surprised about Ring Fit Adventure, but uh, Nintendo, 
despite everything that's been going on in the world over the past 12 months, Nintendo just continuing to find a way to thrive, basically. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so for the past few weeks, we have been talking anniversaries, obviously. This is the 35th anniversary of Zelda. It's the 35th anniversary of Metroid. And it is the 25th, the silver anniversary for the Pokemon franchise. And we are already getting a lot of stuff for Pokemon's 25th. As a matter of fact, the website for Pokemon's 25th anniversary is now live. And it's it's really, really cool. Definitely go check it out if you haven't yet. We've already found out a couple things. Yeah. Probably the weirdest to go along with this weird week theme that I'm having. That Katy Perry is apparently going to be recording a song in some respect for Pokemon's 25th anniversary. Yes, that Katy Perry. I, uh, man. Between Kanye West trying to approach Reggie about a game and Katy Perry <laughs> doing recordings for Pokemon, this is man. I don't. I I'm not gonna lie though. If I found out she was re-recording the original theme song from the television show, I'd kind of be interested to hear it. I'm definitely gonna be interested to hear the song. It seems like it's gonna be some song called Electric. We got a little taste of it. At the end of the 25th anniversary video that Pokemon released, which was very cute. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I liked that a lot. Kind of uh, going through the history and stuff like this. It's definitely, they're, they're blowing this out. They're making a big deal out of it. Um, ramping up towards the anniversary coming up in February. And yeah, Katy Perry is doing a song for it, I guess. And I mean... I'm going to listen to it. I mean, you know, that's cool. I'd like Katy Perry as much as the next guy, I guess. I guess. But that's not all the news that we've gotten. They have announced that they're going to be doing some really cool Pokemon trading card game reprints from some of the original cards. And those look really cool. And for those who know me, they know that I was big into Pokemon cards back when they first came out 20 years ago. Uh, my local Hastings, <laughs> rest in peace. Uh, pour one out. Yeah, they ran the Pokemon Trading Card Game League in my town, and I would go every week. I would bring my my decks, and I'd bring my collection, and I would just play every week. I was really, really big into Pokemon cards for a few years, and I really had to force myself to step away because I know the type of person that I am. But even knowing the type of person that I am, I might wind up getting a few packs of these Gen 1 reprints because, again, they look really cool. And I'm a very nostalgic person anyway. Oh, yeah, totally. And they're they're actually doing a few waves of this where they're doing some Gen 1 reprints. They are going to, throughout the course of the year, wind up reprinting a small set of every generation. And uh, it's all going to be stamped with the, you know, the new Pokemon 25 branding. So... Pretty interesting. And uh, I mean, yeah, just like you said, I was huge. I I say this on the show all the time. We were sniped when we were kids. I mean, we were just set up that. I mean, it it may as well have been made specifically for us. Pokemon hit us right at the right time. And uh, and yeah, the Pokemon TCG, I was massively into it when I was a kid. And and like you, I'm a very nostalgic person as well. Uh, I'm Definitely going to be grabbing some of these packs. Really excited. But obviously the big story in terms of Pokemon's 25th anniversary that has come out over the past week is the amazing, really amazing trailer we got for new Pokemon Snap. 
Now, we found out about it last year during a Pokemon Presents, and we found out that it was going to be coming sometime in 2021. And now we can say for sure that day is going to be April 30th. I mean, I had no idea when I woke up Thursday morning that I was going to be greeted by a brand new trailer for new Pokemon Snap with a release date. And not only with a release date, a very soon release date, just barely three months out. And again, the trailer looks really cool. If you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. It's it's frankly gorgeous. And if you've ever played the oh, original Pokemon Snap, yeah, it's really, really good. If you ever played the original Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo 64, you, you want to talk about sniping a fan base? <laughs> it's a lot of fans of that original game are are watching that trailer and have watched that trailer and just getting these massive nostalgia rushes just because of all the different elements that are subtly being brought back from the original game, even from the pod that the player character goes yes. into to throwing out the pokeballs and the apples and everything. To oh, did you see that little part in the the trailer where the Torchic actually burned the apple and yes. before they ate like it, roasted his own roasted apple? apple? Yes. Oh, that was so great. It was so good. <laughs> it just hits that. It just hits that nostalgic thing, man. It makes me like legitimately emotional. Like, I feel like I'm getting a little piece of my childhood back. I really do. And there was that whole thing in the trailer. There was this, this little sequence with pre Marina. And I just couldn't help but think, uh, I was like, Oh, Greg Lebanov is loving this right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. He actually tweeted about it. So can confirm he was loving that. No, no <laughs> doubt in my mind. There's not a doubt in my mind. He tweeted about that, but uh, it just, it looks so, so good. And then they presented of all things, a Meganium as kind of yeah. the central character in this. Meganium was this almost mythical presence toward the end of the trailer and is taking up a huge amount of the box space, the box art space on the front cover of the game art. So we'll see where that goes. Obviously, they're planning to have some type of narrative in the game. Do, don't know how in-depth it's going to be, but it's going to be there. It's really weird because so not only did they make this a whole new region, the Lentil region, but they specifically say here on the eShop listing, investigate the mysterious Illumina phenomenon, which is why you see some of these Pokemon like glowing in the trailer. And it seems like that's going to be kind of a main mystery, a main sticking point in the game's narrative, such as it is. Um, and I mean, the whole time I'm seeing this, I'm like, this is going to make for some absolutely beautiful pictures in this game. Glowing Pokemon in the, like the dark forest. Just, oh, be still my beating heart. I am fully prepared <laughs> come May 1st that our entire Twitter feed is going to be nothing but new Pokemon Snap shares. Oh, I, I cannot wait. And of course, there's people who are already speculating that the new professor is like grown up yep. Todd from the yep. first game. And I can see it. I can see I it. I can see it too. Yeah, I can see it too. I just, man, I, I, I am so excited for this. I mean... Again, this was the last thing I expected to happen Thursday morning when I woke up. Yeah, fans have been clamoring for a Pokemon Snap sequel for years. It's been, and it's weird to say about a Pokemon game, but it's really been a cult classic title for 20 years. And I frankly, I'm still surprised that we're getting it. I'm legitimately surprised that we're getting a full-on physical release retail console version of new Pokemon Snap here in 2021. 
I I just can't I I can't believe it either, and I'm just so happy, and it just looks so amazing. It, it, it's everything. It's it's like a dream game, you know. It's the kind of thing that if you had sat me down as a kid and told me that this thing was going to happen, <laughs> you know, in 20 years, I I just you would have blown my mind. And cannot wait for all of that. Uh, however. Uh, we might actually have a fairly reliable lead on a couple other games that might also be potentially released this year. Yes. So we have talked about this actually a few times on the show. Uh, It seems like the Pokemon company is poised to do some sort of remake, re-release, what have you, of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. It is kind of next on the docket after they have done remakes of like, you know, Heart Gold, Soul Silver, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire... It seems like Diamond and Pearl is kind of next in line. And there's been tons of rumors. A lot of folks thought they were going to announce it during that like International Space Station stream they did a couple weeks ago. Didn't wind up happening because, of course, it didn't. However, now we've got a somewhat corroborated report from Spanish fan site Centro Pokemon uh, that they say that their sources who are close to the Pokemon company have confirmed to them that these remakes are indeed in the works and will be revealed in a Pokemon 25th anniversary direct, which will be happening sometime next month. Now, this is something that we basically predicted was going to be happening anyway. I think anybody would assume that that was going to be kind of the course of action. Um, a prolific Pokemon insider that you might know from Twitter, Kelios, uh, who's also the webmaster of French fan site, Poke Kalos, uh, is also backing up these claims. And he has got Kelios a very strong track record, especially when it comes to Pokemon. I don't know who his sources are, but he, he definitely has got a very solid track record. And so, He's the kind of leaker or whatever that doesn't typically report on things unless he's sure of them. Uh, So some really strong corroborated evidence that these Diamond and Pearl remakes are indeed coming. And it sounds like we'll be hearing about them as soon as next month. Well, regardless, I know we can expect quite a few announcements. We can expect quite a bit of news coming next month from the Pokemon company. Regardless, I I really think these are going to happen, but... One way or another, we'll find out soon. We don't have long to wait. That anniversary is in February, so it's uh, clock's ticking, and, and they've already revealed a lot. I'm frankly surprised that the Pokemon Snap trailer wasn't just held for that direct, but uh, but I mean, that just makes me think, well, what else do they got, you know? So I, I'm, I'm super excited for whenever that happens. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's some more news on Pokemon Unite. There was also a leak about that where that you can customize your Pokemon in that game. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, Pokemoba, hashtag Pokemoba. I'm sure it'll be fun. But uh, I, okay. I really I really hope that's not what they're building toward. I really hope that's not this big marquee release that they're planning for the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. I really hope they have a couple better cards up their sleeve than that. But again, we'll find out very soon. Now, In regards to anniversaries, this has all been Pokemon 25th anniversary stuff. We do actually have, apparently, one more announcement that Nintendo was sitting on for Mario's 35th anniversary. Obviously, we got all this info on Super Mario 3D World from this past week. But Nintendo also revealed a brand new Mario console. A brand new special edition Mario Nintendo Switch. Yeah, the Mario Red and Blue Edition system. Um, yeah, this was really interesting. So 
basically what this is, this is going to correspond with the release of Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury on February 12th. And uh, it's going to have a MSRP of $299, i.e. what a Switch normally costs. Um, yep. And yeah, it's it's going to have both not just the system, not just the standard Joy-Con grip. It's also going to come with a Mario design carrying case and a screen protector. So actually a pretty good deal for the price. And uh, that's not all. They've actually colored this thing to Mario. Yeah, it's very red and very blue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The dock is all red. The bezel on the outside of the switch is red. Uh, the Joy-Con grip is blue. The um, the wrist strap attachments for the Joy-Con, the red Joy-Con, are blue. So definitely has a very red and blue Mario feel. So if you're in the market for a new Nintendo Switch, maybe check this one out. I don't know. I'm still kind of waiting on the Switch Pro. If they release a Switch Pro version of that. I'm going to be all over it. Yeah, see, that that was my thing. I was like, I can't really justify going for something like this, especially when you know they've got a Zelda one in the works, too. I, I just, when that happens, when the Zelda Switch comes out, I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to resist it. You're probably right about that. But this is certainly a very welcome announcement from Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> you could possibly argue that they did it as an apology because... Uh. It, it turns out because of the ongoing global pandemic, uh, just like the American Super Nintendo World has had to postpone its construction, despite the fact that Super Nintendo World in Japan is essentially complete, because of the ongoing global pandemic, they are, as of right now, having to push back the release date of Super Nintendo World in Japan. It was supposed to open in just a couple weeks at the beginning of February. However, with everything going on, they thought that that just really wasn't a good idea right now. So uh, we will stick with this story. We will let you guys know what's going on. But as of right now, uh, we don't know when the we don't know when Super Nintendo World in Japan is going to be opening now. Yeah, so this is in response to a state of emergency, uh, COVID nineteen state of emergency that was put in place in Osaka, where Universal Studios Japan is located. That state of emergency is not planned to be lifted until February seventh, and so we do kind of expect because, as you said, the the park is ready to go. It's ready to open. It was gonna open in just a couple weeks, so um, they're ready to to sort of you know cut the red tape and all that. Um, but it's uh. It's not going to have a new date until after the state of emergency is lifted. Um, it was frankly a little weird that they were opening it in the middle of the pandemic anyway. So yeah, we're going to stick with the story. We'll let you guys know uh, when we get a new date for this thing. But speaking of something that we have no idea when we'll get a new release date for, um, Bethesda came out this week and announced that Wolfenstein developers Machine Games are working on a licensed Indiana Jones game with a little teaser trailer there. And the only reason I bring this up is because, of course, both Wolfenstein games were ported to the Nintendo Switch and pretty solid ports, by all accounts. Um, Bethesda has actually had a pretty good history with Nintendo and, and porting games. Both Doom games are on there. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got Fallout Shelter. We've got both Wolfenstein games. Um, so 
could this potentially come over to the Switch? It really depends. Because obviously, in addition to all that, we even have Skyrim on the Switch. Granted, Skyrim's on everything. Right. But if they go for that type of game, uh, obviously, we've already talked about the Outer Worlds in this episode. So, you know, the Outer Worlds, since this patch, apparently, and Skyrim have shown that games like that can be successful on the Nintendo Switch. So if they turn this Indiana Jones game into something like that, then I could see it coming to the Nintendo console. But I've got to imagine, objectively, I've got to imagine that they are really going to be targeting the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X with this. And if that's the case, then we might not see it come to Nintendo. If I had to really stick my flag in the sand about any type of prediction when it comes to this, I would say that we would probably see it in a couple years on a cloud service, especially with the state Bethesda is in right now, still trying to recover essentially from the prolonged uh, dumpster fire that was fallout 76. They are probably going to be looking at a really big win. And I think in their eyes, that big win is going to come from Sony and Microsoft. So, uh, you know, Developers like that still see Nintendo as an underpowered uh, option, and they're trying to make the shiniest, newest, most powerful games that they can. So we'll see if Nintendo really doubles down on this cloud gaming type thing. And if they do, then it may be playable on the Switch Pro in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to entirely depend on what kind of game this is. Um, I think that a lot of people see Bethesda and immediately assume, oh, it's going to be an open world Indiana Jones RPG. That's not necessarily the case, especially when you're talking about machine games. Um, The Wolfenstein games are very much kind of traditional old school style shooters. And they are like, you know, level based shooters, open areas, of course, but it's not like an open world kind of experience. I don't know what kind of game Indiana Jones is going to be. I mean, looking at their pedigree, you would assume it's going to be another first person action experience, but who knows? I mean, they certainly are no stranger to dealing with the historical element. Um, So I I think the game could be really interesting, but in terms of it coming to switch, I think that's what it's going to boil down to. Do we think that Harrison Ford is going to be coming back? I I would be shocked to be completely honest with you. <laughs> I think I would be too. <laughs> I, it's just like motion capture is industry standard at this point, and the man's what eighty. Wouldn't it be crazy if this were Chris Pratt's first foray into Indiana Jones? Since Chris Pratt has been so heavily rumored to be taking over the whip and the fedora for a couple of years now. That'd be cool. I mean, it, I really don't think that we're going to see, and they even say like, we're not going to have more news to share for a while. They announced oh, sure. this thing way too early, you yeah. know, in typical Bethesda fashion. That's true. Uh, <laughs> they announced this way too early. I don't think we're going to see this for many, many years to come, but yeah, that'd be cool. It, you know, maybe it'll coincide with the Indiana Jones movie. You know, again, like you say, Chris Pratt rumored to be taking up the mantle on that. And uh, who knows, maybe it'll just be kind of like a tie-in license kind of thing with some actual AAA backing behind it. Uh, This is something that we talked about kind of recently on the show where it's like, hey, where are all the license games, you know? And um, 
it seems like we're starting to finally get some. I hope it comes to Switch. I don't know if it will. I think the best chance that it has probably is, like you said, cloud gaming. But uh, but we'll see. I, I don't think we're going to have much more to say on it for a long time, but it was still a cool announcement. Yeah. And kind of speaking of licenses and even speaking of Lucasfilm licenses. Yeah. Uh, Disney and Lucasfilm have announced that the Star Wars license is no longer exclusive to the publisher Electronic Arts. They have actually announced that a new game is coming from Ubisoft and the division developer Supermassive Games, which is exciting. We don't know anything else about it. And again, this is probably another situation where things were announced way too early. But Star Wars is not just stuck with EA anymore. And I, I'm really hoping that this means that we can see new Star Wars games come to Switch. I guarantee you the reason that they jumped the gun on this announcement a little bit was to put pressure on EA. This was very much mm. Lucasfilm. By the way, uh, a little bit of a tertiary news story, the fact that Lucasfilm is now again the brand under Star Wars games. Right. Uh, but I... I guarantee you this is Lucasfilms saying, all right, guys, you know, Ubisoft has this game that we're really excited about that we're making with them, you know, essentially kind of flaunting their new partnership in EA's face saying, you know, we're really happy to be working with these guys. You know, EA is still going to be making stuff. I guess. Yeah, well, they're they're all hands on deck, I'm sure, on Fallen Order 2 or whatever the follow-up to that's going to be. But I, I did see Bloomberg actually did report that the EA deal, the EA having the license is expected to run out in 2023. And at current, Disney does not plan to renew that license agreement. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think this was probably a little bit of a strong arm move. Yeah, they're very, very much trying to light a fire under EA right now, basically saying, listen, guys, we need you to prove to us that you deserve to work with this license. And, you know, they're very publicly working with other developers and other publishers right now on other Star Wars titles. Uh, So I don't know. We'll see if EA steps up to the challenge or we'll see if they continue to be EA. I mean... EA has been EA for so long. I, again, I would love to have positive stories about EA. Uh, and Fallen Order was great. It was absolutely great. What they've been able to do with Star Wars Battlefront 2, that's been great. So they have been able to recover a little bit, but it, it clearly hasn't been enough and understandably hasn't been enough for Lucasfilm because Star yeah. Wars is such a beloved property that and especially in this kind of renaissance that we're about to go into right now with all the other star wars spinoffs and star wars content that's going to be coming in the next few years i've got to imagine that lucasfilm is going to want to start pumping out games fairly quickly yeah and that, that's why i kind of have hope that you know they're, they're going to expand their partner relationships they're going to have a lot of developers working on a lot of star wars games and i i think that there is a more than zero percent chance that we can finally start seeing some more star wars games come to the switch and i'm not just talking about the kind of like re-releases of the old n64 games <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not talking about star wars shadows of the empire re uh, hd i mean don't get me wrong i love those games <laughs> but it's it's time for something new. I'm ready to have some new Star Wars material 
in general, but but even on the Switch, you know, and and I think that we've got a stronger likelihood of that happening now than ever due to this news. So I think for EA, this is maybe a bad sign, but for the fans and for the gamers, uh, I think this is very good news indeed. And as we get toward the end of the news drop, I just want to bring up one thing real quick. A independent standout in the Metroidvania genre, Axiom Verge, which originally released. It's on the Nintendo Switch, but originally it released back in late 2014, early 2015. It's been out for about six years now. It is getting uh, a content update, as a matter of fact. New content is being added to this game for the first time in over half a decade. Uh, it's, it's actually the first content update to the game regardless. We knew about Axiom Verge 2 that was revealed at one of Nintendo's Indie World showcases last year. But turns out that wasn't the only thing that developer was working on. There is a randomizer coming to Axiom Verge. As a matter of fact, it's already available on the Epic Game Store. It's already available on Steam. So if you have the game on your PC, you should be able to have access to it. It's in an open beta right now. And they said specifically, quote, once we work out the kinks, we will be bringing it to consoles, end quote. So. Uh, once they, again, work out the kinks, we should be seeing it as a free patch on the Nintendo Switch version of the game. And again, this is just really, really interesting, simply for the fact that not only is it a game getting new content, getting DLC, free DLC, after six years, but it's an indie game getting free DLC after six years. When was the last time you saw a game be supported that far out aside from something like street fighter five right yeah it's it's not common especially since we know that axiom verge 2 is an active development i mean any other developer in their right mind would have just moved along and and went all hands on deck on axiom verge 2 but this is pretty cool i know speedrunners are going to have some fun with this Well, speedrunners, it's funny you say that. Uh, speedrunners, that is the entire reason that this is being added. Uh, the, all this news came out in a blog post on Axiom Verge's website, and they specifically said uh, that the speedrunning community is the reason that they're adding this in because randomizers are such a popular category for a lot of speed ran games, especially stuff like Super Metroid and other Metroidvanias. So right. uh, if, if that's something that you're into, if you've never played Axiom Verge, definitely check it out. But if you have played it before, this might be a reason to, to boot the game back up. I know once it releases, uh, I played it years ago. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good Metroidvania game. And once they released the randomizer, admittedly, I've never actually done a randomizer run. So even though I've never done anything like that, I'd be kind of interested in dipping my toe in the water of, of randomizer runs. Yeah, and for those that don't know what a randomizer is, again, very popular in the speedrunning community. Uh, randomizers basically allow players to randomize the items that they get and use as they progress in the game. So it's going to be really interesting playing Axiom Verge with a random assortment of items. And speaking of the speedrun community, I did want to just shout out that AGDQ Awesome Games Done Quick, uh, which just wrapped up this past week, did wind up raising a whopping $2,758,847 during their week-long charity marathon stream, benefiting the Prevent uh, Cancer Foundation. I mean, 
they I actually think they wound up hitting by 16 minutes, wound up hitting the million dollar mark faster than any Games Done Quick event in the past. So, uh, I mean, even in spite of the economy being what it is, even in spite of COVID-19, uh, really nice to see the year start off with a huge burst of positivity for the Prevent Cancer Foundation and uh, just you know, awesome work to everybody involved. Definitely a faith in humanity restored kind of moment. Absolutely. And in that same vein, uh, we talked about it last week, but I just want to shout it out one more time because it's happening right now. The weekend long Gaming for Guru live streams happening with our friends at Nintendo Dads, as well as a swath of other content creators uh, happening right now. Uh, benefiting the GoFundMe campaign of Bobby Paul's the Nintendo guru who is currently hospitalized due to COVID-19 complications and has been since last October. So um, this is something that, again, we we shouted this out last week. We want to continue to support it as much as we can. Uh, Go out there, donate, show your love. Um, The initial goal has actually already been surpassed, but we're hoping to just really knock it out of the park um, the initial GoFundMe campaign was set for $10,000. And I mean, we all know that $10,000 is not going to cover his medical bills staying in the hospital since October. So I, I think we really need to shoot for the stars on this one. Uh, we definitely want to send all of our love and support. We'll be donating to the cause. Uh, we hope everybody else does too. There's all kinds of free prize giveaways happening between now and the end of the month. Uh, you will find donation links and merchandise links, uh, 100% of the proceeds of which go directly to the campaign. Uh, you'll find those links in all of our episode descriptions from now through the end of the month. So definitely dig deep. Uh, give to the Nintendo Gurus campaign. Um, well-deserved, a great guy who has done a ton for the Nintendo community. And uh, again, we just we just want to offer our love and support uh, as much as possible here on All In. Yeah, you'll be able to find them on YouTube and Twitch all weekend long. We'll be retweeting, we'll be sharing, we'll be helping shout them out all weekend long. So do make sure to follow us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast, and you know, help us help them. And also, thank you for listening to All In a Nintendo Podcast. Please do like and subscribe to our little passion project on whatever service you happen to be listening to us on. SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, or Spotify. We really, really appreciate you guys hanging out with us each and every week and making us part of your weekly rotation. Again, uh, do try to help this weekend if you are able. Uh, Obviously, we know the economy is what it is, but Uh, It is definitely, definitely for a good cause. And thank you in advance for everything that you are able to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great cause. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, everybody can come together, especially our listeners, our community uh, can help out in any way we can. So anyway, thank, thanks in advance. Um, And let's, let's do it for the guru. (laughs) Well, guys, that was this week's news roundup, some cool stuff to talk about, but I did have a little bit of an an anecdote or a bit of a moment earlier this week, if you'll all indulge me in this for a minute, because I'm sitting on my Switch and I'm playing some, you know, some video games like you do. And I was playing a game in particular and I was talking to you about this. Mm-hmm. As I'm playing it, I had the realization that, you know, we, we love to cover indie games on the show every single week, of course. How is it? 
that we have not covered a Studio Pixel game yet. Well, to be fair, there aren't too many of them. As a matter of fact, there's only two available on the Nintendo Switch. However, the pedigree behind Studio Pixel is something that a lot of people, even indie game fans, are well aware of at this point. Now, a lot of people are incredibly aware of Studio Pixel's other game, Cave Story. Indie Darling absolutely exploded into the public consciousness of the gaming zeitgeist and just blew up just about everything has seen a release of cave story at this point even though the original title came out in 2004 cave story plus cave story plus was also released on the nintendo switch even had a physical release on the nintendo switch they saw a 3d remake for the 3ds it's been within a period of about three years cave story saw honestly like 12 re-releases and remasters from Nicholas. It just absolutely exploded. However, a lot of people aren't nearly as aware of uh, Studio Pixel's follow-up to Cave Story, which is the game we're going to be talking about today in our Indie Showcase. Yes. So let's gather around, folks, and talk a little bit about Caro Blaster. Yes, Carol Blaster was the follow-up to Cave Story, released back in 2014 originally on Steam, I believe. And Studio Pixel is basically just one person, essentially. A creator by the name, he goes by Pixel. Real name, Daisuke Amaya. And uh, again, over the course of four or five years, almost single-handedly created Cave Story. And then Nicholas got a hold of it, like you were talking about, Seth, and just you know spread it all over the planet and then kind of in secret kind of in the shadows Daisuke was working on another game Carol Blaster which initially released like we said in 2014 and came out a couple years ago uh, on the Nintendo Switch back in the middle of 2018 I believe yes this was a game I actually noticed it I had no clue about the pedigree behind it but I noticed it because it has some admittedly nice little character artwork there on the eShop. And I was like, oh, what's this little game? It's great. Yeah. I saw the uh, I saw the gameplay and there was, there was just something about it. I didn't immediately pull the trigger on getting it, but there was just something about it. And I'm happy to be able to, to eventually go back and finally play through it. But let's get into it. What is Carol Blaster? What is the follow-up to one of the most notable indie games of all time? Yeah, so what's interesting about Carol Blaster, and I think this is something that you can make a corollary to Cave Story with, right? Where Cave Story was Pixel's take on kind of a classic kind of Metroidvania-style game. And Carol Blaster is admittedly a lot more simplistic, but that isn't to say that there isn't good layers of depth. But what is the game at root it's a side-scrolling action platformer shooter, kind of in the style of like a Contra, I suppose. Yeah, in the Contra, in style of Mega Man, in the style of Cave Story, essentially, just as a side-scroller, uh, not necessarily as a Metroidvania. The game is much more linear. There are stages involved as opposed to just a map that you can explore. But if you're familiar with Cave Story, then you should be able to jump right into Carol Blaster because it feels very similarly the way the character moves. Even the floaty jump the character has will be incredibly familiar to you if you've played Cave Story before. And honestly, 
that's about it. Admittedly, from a gameplay perspective, the game doesn't really do anything new. It doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. It doesn't throw a lot of complicated uh, mechanics in there. It's pretty straightforward when it comes to its gameplay. The nice thing about Blaster is it is very simple, but it's got some extremely well-designed levels and it's got a lot of really cool little design pieces of design depth, I suppose, where there are a lot of like smart ideas in there, even if none of them are necessarily like innovative or new, they're implemented so well and so smartly and with so much charm and personality. That's kind of okay. Yeah. You don't always need an incredibly unique, incredibly genre bending experience. Sometimes it's perfectly good just to settle in with something comfortable, something familiar, something where you know exactly what you're getting. Not every game has to be this incredibly influential, this incredibly trailblazing piece of software. You can have stuff that is, you know, just like games you remember playing from your childhood. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah. So I guess the basic like setup of Blaster. you play as a frog, uh, if you couldn't tell by the title. Exactly. And for those unfamiliar, Caro is essentially frog in Japanese. Yes. Yes. I mean, the, the title basically means like frog that shoots. And, and that's basically what the game is. Um, and yeah, you play as this frog who works for a teleporter company called Cat and Frog. And... <laughs> Basically, the setup of the game is that you go throughout these levels to clean these teleporters that the company owns of these kind of like black creatures, these kind of like black tar, I don't know, weird spirited away soot sprite creatures. Yeah, you notice that you <laughs> notice that too, like that spirited away style yeah. soot spirit from spirited away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's that's basically the the gist of it. And the way that you do this is by going through like a variety of, you know, side-scrolling stages uh, that culminate in boss fights. And there's a bunch of running and jumping and shooting. And and that's really the the really basic setup. It's a very basic game, but the interesting thing about Carol Blaster is is in the sort of loop of it all. You will as you're defeating enemies be rewarded with coins that can be spent on upgrades. You will unlock different weapons and different kind of gameplay wrinkles. And that's actually probably my favorite thing about Carol Blaster is the way that it manages to pace itself. It keeps it feeling very fresh, I feel like, throughout. Yeah, you play through a stage, you beat a boss, and then you you wind up getting an upgrade. Most of the time, directly from the boss itself. It could be a new weapon. Sometimes you'll get uh, <laughs> essentially a piece of armor. You'll get, you'll wind up unlocking a double jump about halfway through. So yep. you are, even though it's fairly rudimentary, you are still getting new upgrades. You are still upgrading your character's capabilities throughout the experience. And in addition to getting upgrades and new weapons after you defeat the bosses, there is, like you talked about, you can get coins from defeating enemies and you will occasionally have access to a shop where you can upgrade not just your weapons, but also your health total. So a lot of Metroidvania style RPG elements, some light RPG and Metroidvania style elements thrown in there for the sake of upgrading the character, just so it's not too simplistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that a lot of folks, especially when this game first came out, criticized it for being kind of easy. But 
for me, I, I felt like the game had just the right amount of challenge, especially towards the end. Um, I felt like the game kind of had a nice, like, just again, I think I think the game's got a really nice sense of pacing. The game's got a nice upgrade path. It's got a nice unlock path. And it's got a nice slow build of challenge kind of ramping up towards the end. And there's obviously plenty of, like, post-game stuff that we'll get into. But um, that, that, I think, is something that, pixel really nailed with Caro blaster i i was really impressed by that it's just a it's just a really well-designed game with well-designed levels like it feels good like it just it nails everything it needs to nail and like that seems like it's it's such a i guess vanilla thing to say about the game but it's like that really is what it is it's just a really nice piece of game design and sometimes that's all you really need. And when you layer like the the level of charm that Pixel always brings to his games on top of it, and and just like the the quirky like characters and like the the charming music, there's just a really the game has heart. You know what I mean? Like there, there's just a nice like homemade feel to the game. I do appreciate the things that the game does try to do from a narrative aspect. Uh, in addition to cleaning up the teleporters, you will eventually... The, the narrative does get a little bit deeper than that. There's only seven stages in the game. The regular playthrough, the initial game playthrough, will take you about two and a half, three hours throughout those seven right. stages. And they do have cutscenes in between them. It's not just something to where you finish stage three and you immediately go to stage four. No, there's a little bit of a setup in between there that helps tie everything together. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a run and gun platformer where you can unlock weapons, you can upgrade them, you wind up fighting waves of enemies. And that that's a little thing that I really appreciate about the game is there's a lot of games that you can you can make your weapons incredibly powerful, but you don't really right. feel like you ever get the best use out of all that power. You may be able to use them against the boss, but a lot of the normal stages do wind up feeling kind of trivial at that point because you've upgraded your weapon so much. But the last couple stages in the game especially basically force you to upgrade your weapon. You're going to die a lot if you don't have the most powerful weapons at your disposal unless you're just some hardcore gamer that goes for, you know, you, you just re you require the absolute most ridiculous challenge possible. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the game is paced well, too, in that, like, you're never going to have, like, a hundred lives to burn through, you know? Like, it's not no. the kind of thing where you can just, like, bang your head against it. There are ways to get more lives, of course. There are ways to make the game easier for yourself. But um, the game is not just, like, holding your hand the entire way through. Like, even if it's not the most nail-bitingly difficult game I've ever played, at least it's not, you know, we love Kirby, but it's not like a Kirby game where, you know, it's basically... Like Kirby, Kirby basically is kind of walking you through the experience at times. Carablaster is not like that. I'll admit the first four or five stages of Carablaster, I I didn't really it didn't really get to me. But going into the second half of like that fifth stage and the sixth and the seventh, the the difficulty sure. did start to ramp up a little bit. And I, I'll admit the last boss did get me a couple times. I'll admit, but I think you kind of want that from a oh, last yeah. boss. If you go into a last boss and you just absolutely wreck them the entire first time, it winds up being an incredibly deflating experience. Honestly, I prefer 
a last boss that kills me at least a couple times before I'm finally able to overcome them or else it feels really anticlimactic to me. Yeah. You start to learn the patterns. Yeah. And I thought the main game did do a good job of that by the end of that first playthrough. So, you know, props to them for that. But you do say there first playthrough. And I think (laughs) that's something that we should probably move into because as it turns out, after you see the credits for the first time, after you do that initial playthrough, they have added, Pixel has added some substantial, you know, you wouldn't know this to play it now because it's all just been baked into the game. But yes. post-launch, Pixel added basically additional modes and additional playthroughs that unlock after that initial playthrough. Now, I've got to be completely honest. The game only has a $10 price tag. However, right. if the game were just that initial playthrough, yep. If I'm being completely honest, it would be a hard recommend for me, even at $10, if it were just that one playthrough, if it were just that three-hour experience. Because just taken as that, ultimately, the game doesn't feel super special. The game doesn't do, I think, enough to distinguish itself as a, a piece of software that people should be playing. However, when you do take these extra modes into account, I think that game more than earns its price tag, if not maybe a little bit more, because the hard mode of this game is not just a more difficult game mode. It's essentially a whole new game. Yeah. So it's called like the, and I don't know how this is pronounced. I think it's called Zongyu mode. Um, I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but basically it translates into overtime mode. And it is overtime mode. Yes, the entire concept of Cat and Frog Inc. is all the stuff that you're doing is essentially in service of this corporation that you belong to. And most of the narrative is just the characters trying to get their daily work done for the yes. day. Everything they're doing is part of their actual job, their actual vocation. Now, things do get a little crazy there at the end and they have to go off the clock, so to speak. But... The narrative specifically for Zengio mode, for hard mode, for overtime mode is wonderfully bonkers and wonderfully (laughs) meta. Uh, Like you mentioned earlier, Seth, there was a little bit of, I don't want to call it backlash, but there were a lot of people saying that they thought the original version of the game was a little bit too easy and they found it, you know, They didn't think the game as it was, was a worthy follow-up to Cave Story. So what Pixel did is he went back in and he created, he basically put in a bunch of overtime on the game. And that very much comes through in the, in the narrative. And it's, it's really, really smart. It's when it comes to reading between the lines in a video game's narrative, you really can't beat somebody over the head more than Pixel is doing with the hard mode story. <laughs> well, it's just really cool because like you alluded to, I mean, it's not just a a mode where you play through the game again, but like you take more damage and the enemies are bullet sponges or whatever. It's not like that. Like it basically is a new game. Things are completely remixed yeah. and changed in really interesting ways. Yeah, I don't... Admittedly, I don't play too, too many hard or very hard modes just because I, I'm i all about the experience of a game. And if a game's hard mode, if all it's going to do is make the enemies hit harder, make you a little less bullet spongy, 
if all they're going to do is just tweak a couple stats, that's not interesting to me. But what hard mode in this game does, it completely reformats the entire game. Yes, you still play technically as the same character. I say technically because uh, another little tweak is your character changes color, as a matter of fact. In the regular game mode, you play as a green frog. In overtime mode, you play as a blue frog. And small touch, but I appreciated it. But that's not remotely the only change to the game. You do wind up finding the same power-ups, but the levels themselves are completely different. They are laid out in completely different, much more difficult ways. You'll come across new enemies. You'll come across new obstacles. Again, you're, you're playing as the same character. You get the same upgrades, but everything else about the game is completely different. It really is a new campaign mode. Uh, new story, new levels, new everything. It's essentially a sequel, a full sequel. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's like you want overtime, you've got overtime. <laughs> essentially. But um, but then like there's also the Omake mode, which is translates basically to bonus mode, um, which is kind of a more traditional new game plus which is kind of like a another thing that people were kind of clamoring for because of note, the game doesn't really have a way to like level select, which is interesting and, and kind of weird, but I guess makes sense within the game's narrative. But yeah, it's it's it kind of gives you a way to justify repeat playthroughs. Yeah, that's probably my biggest gripe with the game is the fact that there is no level select. There is no way to easily go back and replay levels that you've already beaten. And I kind of understand why they did that. Just like Cave Story and its visual style was very much a throwback. This game, uh, if you checked out our social media post from earlier on in the week, you will see that's actually how the character looks in the game. Is that in television looking visual style it looks like something you'd see on a pc from 1990 totally you know studio pixel is not just a cute name pixel is not just a cute moniker this guy is very dedicated to that era of video games if cave story wasn't already immediately apparent about that Uh, so i kind of understand the thought process when it comes to not having a level select because that was a fairly newer mechanic when it comes to games right. like this. So if you do want to replay through the, the game, if you do want to replay through a level, you will wind up having to create a brand new save file and play through one of the game's multiple modes. But if you do want to check out Omake mode, if you do want to check out uh, New Game Plus, that's something the game gives you the option to do after you beat hard mode. Once you beat the final boss in hard mode. And by the way, real quick, I really really liked hard mode it in my opinion was by far the best version in the game not only was it challenging but the narrative was just absolutely bonkers the fact that the final stage is completely different it's not even remixed from the original version of the game it is a completely different final stage uh, with multiple new boss fights you'll fight multiple new bosses throughout the course of the game anyway but the final stage is completely different and uh, a few Nods in there, I think, to some other titles. You let us know if you think so. I did notice maybe a a Shovel Knight reference in there with one of the bosses. But Mm. uh, uh, I absolutely love hard mode. Well, like like you said, it definitely... Playing the standard playthrough, it's great and everything. But I 
you could be forgiven for not being totally smitten by that point. But by the time you do a Zengu mode run, it's like, oh, okay. Like, this game has me now. And the thing is, uh, you know, we've been touching on the, the Omake mode a few times now, but it's not even just a standard New Game Plus. You do get to keep all the weapon upgrades that you purchased from Overtime mode, but your life goes back down to just a single heart, after which you've presumably upgraded right. it to six, seven, or possibly even eight. They throw you back to one heart. You can get those back, but even Omake mode, where, as a matter of fact, they actually change the color of your character again. You play as a yellow frog. Yellow, yes. In, in extra mode. So normal playthrough, you play as a green frog. Hard mode, you play as a blue frog. Extra mode, you play as a yellow frog. Uh, it. And that's very much their way of denoting that that these gameplay experiences are very different. Because even though you go through the, I, I think they're mostly the easy versions of the stages with your upgraded right. weapons, even they have a few wrinkles thrown in. Even they aren't completely identical to the easy versions of the stages. And this is best exemplified by the bonus stages. And I honestly don't want to spoil these too much because... After I beat hard mode, I thought to myself, well, that's clearly the best the game has to offer. There's no other wonderful surprises this game's really going to have for me. However, I do urge people, yes, after you've already played through the game twice on normal mode and hard mode, I do recommend playing through Omake mode. I recommend playing through the game a third time and trying to find those bonus stages. because. They are, you talk about trying to make a game memorable. Those are some memorable bonus stages. Those are some memorable secrets. And they do lead to some really cool rewards. And that's the kind of thing that I think really makes Blaster stand apart from Cave Story. Because obviously when you're following up a game like Cave Story, you've got some massive shoes to fill. You know, you've got a lot kind of in front of you there. It's going to be an uphill battle. And I think that ultimately Blaster manages to stand out because of how different each playthrough is, because of all of the content there. When you talk about a $10 game with all of this well-designed running gun platformer action, old school, you know, an old school experience and, um, and just has, like I said earlier, all this charm and personality, it, it is just so for me easily recommendable. Like it just makes it a really easy recommend. Like you said, may have been a harder sell had it just been the normal playthrough for $10. But for the complete experience, I think it really is something special and stand out. Yeah, if you only play through this game's normal mode, if you beat the last boss the first time and say, I'm done with this game, you are very much doing yourself a disservice when it comes to this title. No, yeah, absolutely. Do do the complete experience. And when you boil it down, really, too, if you... If you're the kind of person that likes to translate the dollars to fun ratio, I mean, you're going to wind up getting that if you do all of your three playthroughs, you know, like there's, there's quite a bit here to sink your teeth into at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's a lot more deep than it initially appears. Between the three separate playthroughs and trying to locate all the secrets, especially in Omake mode, I put a little over nine hours, just under 10 hours into this package. And for $10, I'd say that's pretty good. A dollar an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely wanted to to 
to bring this game to you guys in this episode because again we hadn't really talked about pixel at all on this show up until now and the the game in and of itself is worth playing but just as a talking point it's really interesting to know that because a lot of people aren't even aware of this game a lot of people like we said earlier are aware of cave story but a lot of cave stories fans don't even know that that Daisuke followed it up with this game. And more interestingly is that we haven't really heard anything from him since this is as of right now, the last game from Daisuke Amaya. Yeah. And I mean, who knows, maybe he's working in secret on his next thing. Sounds like him. Totally. And I mean, I'm sure that's exactly what's going on, but it is kind of, it does kind of uh, shroud this in mystery, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, we've got Cave Story, which which obviously left a, a great legacy. And I've got this little thing, Kara Blaster. And, it, and it's totally the kind of game that we like to bring to the indie showcase. Of course, we love to cover some of these higher profile indie games. We love to talk about games like Celeste or what have you. But it is really nice when we can point you to a game like this where it's like, hey, did you know the guy that made Cave Story made this little game called Kara Blaster? And it's also great and worth your attention. Let me show you this. I mean, this was just a perfect contender for the Indie Showcase. And uh, <laughs> and again, if it's not obvious to you now, by now, we highly recommend you pick it up. You know, it was so funny. Like I said, I saw this game on the eShop a little while ago, back pretty soon after it first came out. And I, I wasn't aware at all. I was a fan of Cave Story, and I wasn't aware at all of, of who was behind the title. And it was so funny because when I finally did play through the game. And when I finally beat the game, I still wasn't aware. I knew it was done by Studio Pixel, but for some reason, I just, my mind just kept going to Twisted Pixel, the people behind the <laughs> Maw and Misplosion Man and, and games right. like that. I knew it wasn't them, but that's just where my mind went. I just kept distracting myself. And it was so funny because at the end of the title, I was, man, I was like, man, if you like Cave Story, you'll really like this game. And then I did a little research and I was like, oh, I feel like an idiot. Turns out. Turns out there's a good reason for that. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that's Kara Blaster, guys. It's it's a great little game. And uh, again, $10 currently available on the Nintendo Switch eShop. If... If you still, you know, don't take our word for it. You can look up uh, footage and see if this is the kind of game for you. Worst case scenario, wishlist it. The game does go on sale every so often. Um, and again, uh, just just a great little package. And we we highly recommend it for the price. Yeah, I can see how the Intellivision aesthetic might not blow the socks off of everybody. But if you like solid run and gun platformers, then you ought to definitely check it out. But have you played Carol Blaster? Do you plan on playing Carol Blaster? If you do, reach out to us and let us know what you think of the title. Reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to us on Twitter, and let us know what you thought of Daisuke's follow-up to the iconic cave story. And, you know, if they ever if he ever goes back to the game, they could definitely add in Quote or Curly. They would fit in perfectly in that title. And I don't know. That you've got frogs and cats. Maybe you could add a few dogs in there. Who knows? Maybe you could Whoa. have a little companion. Some good boys, perhaps. Some good boys, yes. <laughs> it's just been on, it's been on my mind a lot recently because I keep going back to the Monster Hunter Rise demo, and I'm just absolutely yeah. in love with those Palamutes. They are such good boys. I love riding around on them. I love having them help you in battle. 
and you know playing the monster hunter rise demo thinking about all these these good boys really did get us thinking who are the goodest boys <laughs> oh good boy who are the goodest boys in nintendo so we thought about it we mulled around and we decided we would actually count down the top five goodest boys in nintendo history for you today yes we finally have a reason to talk about dogs to talk about doggos finally. to talk about good boys i'm very much a dog person how about you seth oh i love dogs i've we have a dog and i actually i have to be very careful even though I'm here in my office, I have to be careful for how much I say good boy or good girl in this case, <laughs> because uh, if she hears me say that too much, she will absolutely come running and be like, is it me? Am I a good girl? <laughs> well, you are. She is. But it's not who we're talking about today. And actually, to be clear on that, who we are talking about today, we are talking about canine companions. We are not just talking about right. dog characters like anthropomorphic dogs like dribbles from WarioWare, like kk slider even wolf link from twilight princess you're not going to see characters right. like that on the list because they're like anthropomorphic dogs link had a, a slight case of lycanthropy there it seemed for a little while that's not what we're talking about we're talking about just the goodest best friend companions that you could possibly have in nintendo history as it turns out there's quite a few dogs in nintendo yeah. history but but yes you know if we were to talk about like characterized you know dog characters like it just would have been isabel mic drop goodbye everybody so, <laughs> so yeah we did have to uh you know put some parameters in there yeah no isabel no kk slider we're not going to be talking about animal crossing in this top five <gasps> shocking <Right>. awe <laughs> yes Yes, definitely uh, shocking there. But uh, let's let's go ahead and get into it, man. Let me. I'll start off the list with my number five. My number five has got to be Poochie from the Yoshi series. Nice. Uh, Poochie, of course, you know has has long been a staple of the Yoshi series. A very good boy, very cute, very excitable. Um, has his own amiibo, little yarn Poochie yeah. amiibo. Yeah. Which is adorable. And in fact, the way I display the yarn Poochie amiibo is I put the yarn, the little yarn Yoshi on top of him. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. But the awesome thing about Poochie is Poochie has got some pretty like OP gameplay applications in that Poochie can just like freely walk on hazards in the stage and can actually just transport you across all this dangerous terrain. Yeah, Poochie is very nonchalantly immortal. <laughs> yeah, and can just, like, make these leaps onto, like, towering platforms above him and stuff. And it's just kind of, all the while, just looks like a nonchalant, cheerful pup. And um, Poochie's just great. And actually, when they did, I think they actually, when they did that port for the 3DS version, um... They had like Poochie specific stages. So they actually made it like Yoshi and Poochie's Woolly World. And uh, I thought that was kind of awesome as well. Poochie's just great. Yeah, if you've never played Yoshi's Woolly World on the Wii U, it's an absolutely fantastic addition. Probably the best Yoshi game and one of the few Wii U holdouts that have not yet made it to the Nintendo Switch. I hope they do remedy that sometime in the future. 
Well, for my number five, I'm just going to go ahead and get the Pokemon representative out of the way. And honestly, <laughs> we we could really do a top five dog Pokemon list. There were just a ton to choose from in the world of Pokemon. And I, I went back and forth. I love Zacian to death. I really do. He's one of my favorite Pokemon of all time, but... I just don't feel like he fits the criteria of a good boy, an iconic legendary warrior. But in terms of faithful companion, right. I've actually got to hand it to the OG. My number five is Growlithe. Nice. Nice. The the perfect dog companion, the police dog companion, right? The police dog, the gen one classic, the fire type doggo himself, Growlithe. For over 20 years, he has just been the goodest boy in the Pokemon franchise. And that is saying something because, like we said, there are a ton of dog Pokemon. There are even quite a few legendary dog Pokemon at this point. Yes. So, but I just, I really, really had to go with Growlithe despite the strong contenders from from many other different elements. You have multiple electric dogs, both legendary and non-legendary. And you've got a couple dark type dogs, but ultimately just there's something about the OG Growlithe that really just does it for me. You look at him and you just you, you just can't help but want to pet his fiery little mane. <laughs> and he doesn't lose the, the nice thing about Growlithe is that design is so great because he's got this kind of like faithful companion, good boy, good dog kind of vibe, but he doesn't lose any of the like gravitas. If that makes sense. Like he still looks like a majestic, almost has like a lion type personality. Yeah. And even when, uh, if you ever do decide to give him a firestone and evolve him into Arcanine, it, even though he is, he's literally the legendary Pokemon at that point. He's still mm-hmm. very much a companion style Pokemon. He's much more of a beast, but he still retains a little bit of that Growlithe charm. Yeah, absolutely. But for my number four, I'm going to go in a much more adorable direction because my number four is the dog from Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> the hat wearing Shiba Inu from Mario Odyssey that you can find throughout a bunch of the different kingdoms in the game, weirdly. Like, this is when this dog gets around. He looks at home when you go to New Donk City because it's a photorealistic Shiba. It's a photorealistic dog. But when you have all these stylized and cartoonish characters and all of a sudden you land in the Snow Kingdom and you turn to your left and there's this hat-wearing photorealistic dog, (laughs) it's just... It's just like, <laughs> yeah, and he's awesome for many reasons. Not only can you like play with the dog ostensibly, you can throw Cappy and he'll actually fetch, like he'll actually catch Cappy, which is great. But you can actually, if you give the dog some attention and you follow it around, it can actually lead you to the location of a power moon. It will bark. It will kind of be like, hey, follow me. And it'll sniff around and eventually it'll dig up the location of a power moon for you. That's a good boy. That is a very good boy. There's certainly enough power moons in Mario Odyssey to go around, but the fact that this seemingly insignificant dog, it really just looks like there. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they had just put him there to be cute. 
but they did right. wind up finding a little gameplay application for him, and he does wind up actually affecting the game, even if just a little bit, even if just a tad for each of the different kingdoms you're in. The fact that he can lead you to more power moons, he's he's such a good boy. That's just a very good boy. <laughs> he's, he's a good boy. We are going basically from micro dog to absolute monstrosity oh, uh, with, with my number four. However, despite how intimidating, despite how ferocious, despite how bestial, despite how hulking this character is, and despite the fact that he has three heads, Mm -hmm. Cerberus from Hades is just such the best boy. You can pet the dog. (laughs) Yes, you can press ZL to pet Cerberus when you're running around the house of Hades. You can... Talk to the dog. You can actually buy different accoutrements for Cerberus. You can get him a little sleeping mat. You can get him a little chew toy. He has a, he actually has a role to play within the game itself, which I'm not going to spoil for you. Yes. Uh, But the Cerberus is just amazing. And the animation from where you pet Cerberus it's just absolutely adorable. It's so much more adorable than it ever had any right to be, given the fact that you're petting a three-headed literal hellhound. And we, we're not going to spoil the moment that Cerberus kind of has to play in the game's runs, but I will say that that is an absolute standout moment. Like, w- when that kind of happens, especially the first time you encounter it, it's like, oh, man. It's so great, but... Uh, just Cerberus as a character, you can deepen your relationship with most of the characters that you meet in the game. And right. it, it's great that you can also do that with Cerberus as well. The fact that you can pet him alone, the fact there's a dedicated pet Cerberus button is already fantastic. But even beyond that, the a lot of the interactions you have with the characters, specifically with Hades, uh, specifically with your immediate family members, uh, they, they do wind up including Cerberus in a lot of that. They really do make Cerberus feel like part of the Hades family, not just a guard dog at the gates of Tartarus, but an actual right. loved member of the family. Like a family dog. Yeah. He's just such a good boy. He really is. He's, I wouldn't mess with him. I'm absolutely the dog on my top five that I would least want to get on the wrong side of, but, <laughs> but man, I would just pet his blood red fur all day long. Well, I've got another dog for my number three. That is uh, somebody that I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of either. Now this character, I can already tell the people who are going to cry foul at this for a couple of reasons. Mostly that we talked about how we didn't want to choose care. We, we wanted to focus on companions specifically, right? Well, I will pause it to you. That Amaterasu from Okami, while she may be the protagonist of the game, technically, she is the player the player character of the game, she is still, in lore, a companion. Literally, Okami tells a kind of like, if you've never played Okami, by the way, fantastic game, one of my favorite games of all time, and the Switch version is the definitive version of the game. But that's a tangent. Uh, Okami tells a kind of like feudal ancient Japanese folklore where Amaterasu is the sort of descendant of the sun goddess Shiranui. And in the lore, 
Shirinui was the companion of the swordsman Nagi, who fought and sealed away the eight-headed demon Orochi. And basically, even in Okami's story, and I'm not going to get into massive spoilers or anything, but the setup basically is that throughout multiple points in the game, you have to, as the descendant of Shirinui, you have to, as Amaterasu, help out the descendant of Nagi, Susano. And so you are kind of a companion, even though you are the player character and even though you are like saving the world and bringing life back to the world and having your own part to play in Orochi's, you know, resurgence, um, you are still ultimately a companion. And I think that is what really solidified her placement on the list for me. She's a good girl. She uh, <laughs> she is a good girl. She brings the life back to the world. Uh, she has been playable in like Marvel versus Capcom three, which was awesome. I, I just I love her. I love the game. I love the character. And uh, it's one of my favorite playable protagonists in any game ever. I love the way that Amaterasu feels to control. Like I, I love it's just a fantastic game. And she's just a fantastic character. I I. I couldn't resist putting her on my list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like we've said, like everybody who's ever played Okami has said, it's an absolute must play. It's a lot of people do make the comparisons to legend of Zelda and those are warranted, but it stands on its own as an absolutely amazing 3d adventure title. And Amaterasu is certainly one of the most interesting and unique playable characters in video game history. Really? And I do really love her personality. You do, you have your own companion throughout most of the adventure, this little flea fairy, Isun. Isun. Yeah, yeah. And the interactions between Isun and Amy are just great. Like she'll, there, there's a couple times throughout the course of the adventure, she'll just honestly like playfully eat him. Yeah. Yeah, or just straight up like yawn. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, whatever, bro. Just just great. And again, to say nothing of just, again, saving the world and bringing life back to it and all this. Uh, Okami, again, what an amazing game. I, I can't say enough good things about Okami. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Yes, the comparisons have been made to Zelda ad nauseum. I would posit, you all know how much I love Zelda. Okami is better than some 3D Zelda games. Straight up. Yeah, so. I, I would say that. And she may be a literal god. But yeah, at the end of the day, Amaterasu, she's she's very much a good girl. She's a good girl. Absolutely. Had to put her on my list. 10 out of 10 wood pet. <laughs> uh, actually, speaking of wood pet, going into my number three, it kind of stinks because you literally can't pet this dog, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking moment when you realize it. But I still had to put... Polterpup from the Luigi's Mansion series on my list. Of course. Introduced Ugh. in Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, came back for Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Nintendo Switch. Polterpup is just, the design for Polterpup was just like weaponized cuteness, tailor-made to immediately trigger that part of our brain that goes, no. <laughs> right. Just that gooey part of our brain that just that just absolutely that's where the dog portion of our brain resides. Exactly. I I like to think that the most lovable dogs are both helpful and a little mischievous and right. that is absolutely Polterpup to a T. Yes. 
Yes, his moments, especially in Luigi's Mansion 3, whenever Polterpup appears, it is just amazing. Yeah, you wind up having a few interactions with Polterpup and Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. And then in Luigi's Mansion 3, they just straight up made Polterpup this kind of flippant companion for Luigi throughout the course of the game. Polterpup isn't always there. But right. it's always better when he is. <laughs> Absolutely. And always getting up to, like you said, a healthy level of mischief. A healthy level of mischief, yes. Polterpup was even such a hit in Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. They even gave Polterpup kind of his own nemesis in Luigi's Mansion 3. Right. Which uh, was also fantastic. A little bit of backtracking for my for my taste. But having that happen was also just so great. Uh, I really, really hope we've talked about the potential future of the series a couple times before on here. I've made my thoughts known about how I think that they should do a haunted amusement park game. And I really hope they do that. But regardless what they do with the future of the series, they absolutely have to continue to increase the role of Polterpup in future Luigi's Mansion games. I've even said that I would play a straight up Polterpup spinoff if they made it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That'd be great. And and again, you know, now that Next Level Games has been worked into the first party Nintendo family, I could totally see something like that happening. Bring on more Polterpup. I'm 100% down for that. Let's make it happen. Doug Bowser? Yes. Get the, get the notepad out. <laughs> yes, please, Doug. <laughs> w- would sell many copies, please. Well, moving into my number two, you know, dogs are... You know, what's what's the, the go-to phrase for dogs, right? Man's best friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I think about the greatest good boys in Nintendo history, I'm thinking of dogs that are, you know, especially when we're getting into the top two here, dogs that are steadfast companions would do anything for their companion. Unconditional love. And this character is found in, of all places, Dark Souls. I'm thinking of the great gray wolf Sif from Dark Souls. Yep. One of the bosses, um, possibly the most emotional fight in the game, especially when you get into the lore and the backstory of this character. Um, My favorite character in Dark Souls lore is Artorias the Abyss Walker, who was Sif's partner. And Artorias ends up becoming swallowed by the Abyss his last action is basically to protect Sif with his great shield. And now Sif spends his days guarding Artorias's gravesite and guarding Artorias's wolf ring, um, basically to ensure that what happened to Artorias never happens to anybody else, to get swallowed by the abyss. And it's an emotional kind of fight. And I was actually reading about some of the design backstory. They actually initially had a moment in there where you could choose not to take Sif out. You could choose to spare Sif and he would just kind of like limp away, but they decided against that because it wouldn't be true to the character. Sif would rather die and literally give his life in service to his companion. And I mean, it just, it just makes it, it just gives it this emotional weight that you don't normally find in the Dark Souls series. And I think that's what makes Sif an absolute standout for me. And I got to admit, I wound up, I actually had Sif on my list 
and removed him at like the 11th hour. Mm. Just for all the reasons that you just talked about. Because especially in a, in a franchise full of memorable bosses and these frightening behemoths and dragons and demons and stuff, Sif does stand out pretty heavily for being a relatively normally designed animal. Granted, a massive animal carrying a massive sword but and that's the first thing a lot of people pointed to when pokemon sword and shield was revealed yeah (laughs) it's like yeah zation from pokemon sword certainly looks a little familiar basically yeah there may be a reason why zation is one of my favorite pokemon of all time there is just something about that design sensibility that just screams amazing having a sword being held by a dog or a wolf that's just cool That's just cool. That really is at the end of the day. That's just cool. But even beyond standing out because of Sif's design, like you talked about the lore, the best comparison I can really make is if you've ever watched that episode of Futurama, Mm. Mm -hmm. and hopefully anybody who knows what I'm talking about will immediately know what I'm talking about. Which, of course, was drawn from the real-life story of Hachiko in Japan. Yeah, you may not immediately think it when you think of Futurama, but it legitimately had one of the most heartbreaking sequences in television history centered around a dog companion. Ugh. And uh, that that's... The, the story, the backstory, isn't quite that for Sif in Dark Souls and Dark Souls Remastered, but... Uh, it's tugging at a lot of those same heartstrings. And that's another reason that it's become such a memorable piece of Dark Souls lore. And the music's so good. Dark Souls has one of the best video game soundtracks. It's ugh, one of my favorite pieces of music in the entire game. Anyway, I could go on <laughs> and on. I love that character. I do too, but I think we've been a little depressed long enough. Let's get back to more lighthearted. Let's get back to more lovable. And for gamers of a certain age... I think a lot of them were wondering when a certain robotic canine was going to appear. (laughs) And we absolutely were not going to leave Rush off the list. Rush is my number two. Rush, the robotic canine companion to the super fighting robot, the blue bomber himself, Mega Man. He was introduced in Mega Man 3 essentially as a way to characterize all of the supplemental abilities and items that Mega Man had in the first couple games. You always had these units, these items, one, two, and three, and they took all of those items in Mega Man 3 and turned it into an actual character. They gave Mega Man a dog, and it was this, even for the NES, it was this wonderfully realized, pixel-perfect, gorgeous, good boy, the Red Dog Rush. I mean, what what a classic. I mean, yeah, it was basically the the notion of like, well, Mega Man's gotta have a dog. Essentially, yeah. And when it comes to most useful, Rush may honestly be the most useful canine companion in video game history. Throughout the course of multiple appearances, Rush has helped out Mega Man in a ton of different ways. Whether it's just Rush Spring, whether it's the iconic Rush Jet or the Rush Submarine, or just flying around and dropping healing items all over the battlefield. Rush has found a ton of different ways to make himself useful in Mega Man games, even being the center point of several shoot 'em up sections in a couple games. I'm thinking about Mega Man 8 specifically. Yeah, I mean Rush has combined in that and that's another thing with uh with the design going into Mega Man 3, Rush basically combined those items into a character. 
and it, it basically made for a much more clean, straightforward design path. And uh, so not only is Rush just a good boy on the face of it, Rush literally makes life easier on the developers of the game. And extra points to Rush for being an unironically lovable part of that terribly cheesy cartoon. Oh, we, we, we love the cartoon for, for all of its shortcomings. You still, you know, shout out to that cartoon. <laughs> I love it in, in a weird way. I, I do really like the Mega Man cartoon and I thought Rush was a great part of it. Yeah, this was a pretty hard list for me to nail down. Like I've already mentioned, I was changing things in and out even up until, you know, minutes before we were recording. But I, <laughs> we definitely did want to mention a couple other very good boys right here. We mentioned the Palamute already, and it was the inspiration essentially for this list. And even though we've only had some time in the Monster Hunter Rise demo with the new Monster Hunter Dogs, they certainly look like they are going to be memorable additions to the Monster They're Hunter franchise. Awesome. Yeah, I really hope that they continue to expand on that. I would just love to see more and more from Monster Hunter's new good boys. We definitely want to shout out a game that we did a an indie showcase on a few months ago back for Spooky Season. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2 has a playable character named Hachi, who is yes. a corgi piloting a mech that wears a top hat. Uh, and it is just as good as it sounds. My favorite <laughs> character to play as in that game. And uh, man, Hachi is so good. It's just this, again, it's a Corgi who pilots a mech, a steampunk mech that wears a top hat. It's enough said. Basically. That's... Yeah. Enough said. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I didn't really think, think so so i didn't put red 13 on my list from final fantasy 7 i don't really think right. he qualifies necessarily as a good boy but worth mentioning at least and because i'm such a fighting game nut i'd also like to do a quick shout out to poppy from the samurai showdown series galford's dog in that game that you can use to incredible effect in samurai showdown absolutely love that game nice. glad it came back Quick shout out to Poppy because I'll probably never have a reason to talk about Poppy ever again. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I had a couple of honorable mentions I wanted to make real quick too. Um, so one that I was thinking about just kind of off the top of my head, I just, I don't know why I just randomly thought about this character. Rusty's Slugger from Rusty's Real Deal Baseball. Oh, man. 3DS. Oh, God. <laughs> Which is a completely underrated game. And has a really interesting bargaining mechanic for its really well-designed minigames. And Rusty as a character is actually a really kind of like heartfelt father, just like struggling to provide for his family. And like, he's a legitimately charming, endearing character and a good boy. I, I legitimately authentically really enjoy Rusty's Real Deal Baseball, and shout out to Rusty <laughs> Slugger. This, like like you just said, probably the only chance I'll ever have to talk about that game. So here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, another quick shout out I'll make is Lesser Dog from Undertale. From Undertale, yeah. Yes. Possibly the single best like visual gag in that entire game. <laughs> where, where when you kind of like forego your turns, especially if you're doing a pacifist run in Undertale and you're trying to learn the characters to avoid killing them and fighting them in battle. Um, Lesser Dog's head just extends into oblivion and like 
even ends up looping back down around the screen. It's just, it's, it gets me every time. And he just has this adorable, like, you know, like just kind of good boy face on just a smile yeah. with his tongue hanging out. He's so good. <laughs> and one that I just feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention is the dog from Resident Evil 4. What a good boy. At the very beginning of Resident Evil 4, you get the option to save a little good boy who is caught in a bear trap, essentially. And <laughs> there winds up being a little bit of a payoff for that later on down the road. And just one quick last little caveat before we get to number one, because I know a lot of Pew would probably bring it up. is like, well, why did you snub this character? Because this is a list about good boys. And just because you're a dog doesn't mean you're a good boy, which is why the duck hunt dog belongs nowhere near this list. Yeah, he's not a good boy. No, Duck Hunt Dog is is a very bad boy. He's a bad boy. We have that laugh like burned into our minds at this point. You could have gotten some brownie points back if you were a good character in Smash Brothers, but you're just a troll character in Smash Brothers anyway. Bad dog. <laughs> I actually kind of like playing as Duck Hunt, but he's no doubt a troll character even in Smash. So, <laughs> bad dog. Bad dog. Well, let's get into it, man. My number one, this is a game that I've talked about on the show in the past. Um, it's Banjo-Kazooie. One of my... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie, obviously. Um, but no, this this is a game that's... It's one of my favorite Nintendo DS games, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Oh, yeah. Good call. One of the most underrated games of all time for my money. Um, it would be legitimately in my top three favorite Nintendo DS games. It is that good. For those of you that don't know, a super unique kind of like puzzle solving game by Shu Takumi, the designer of and, and creator of Phoenix Wright. And, and just like one of the most gorgeous pieces of like animation work. I, I love that game so much. And in that game, one of the main characters is a Pomeranian dog named Missile. And this character, I even get emotional even right now as I'm talking about it because Missile is such a good boy, actually based on Shu Takumi's actual dog, which was what really elevated it for me. The fact that Missile was actually based on a real dog that the creator of the game has. Like, I I, I just, I love that. Um, but has like this very charming, excitable personality actually ends up dying in multiple stages of the game. Where, you know, the game's conceit, it's called Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. You play as a character who in the opening moments of the game is dead. And basically you, in the afterlife, stop the deaths of other people by being able to reverse time by four minutes and kind of solving murders before they happen, in other words. And you wind up solving Missile's murder and saving Missile from certain death multiple times throughout the game. But... Missile is the companion of these, these people, Lynn and Camilla. And Missile basically will do anything to protect them. Even to the point where at a, there, there comes a point in the game, and I apologize that this is some, some light spoilers for the events of Ghost Trick, but there's a moment where Missile literally chooses to stay dead and convinces Sissel, the, the, the player character of the game, to let him stay dead because he could do more good to protect Lynn and Camilla in the afterlife. And he would rather stay dead because he knows he could do more good for them in the afterlife than he could if he were alive. 
and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, like I just, I love him so much. I'm like, I, ugh, I've got goosebumps just talking about, it. I love this character. And like, that's just the ultimate representation. I think of a dog in video games, this, the unconditional love, man, just the straight up, like, I would rather, if I knew that being dead and being able to affect your world from the afterlife would benefit you, I would rather be dead. I mean, that's just, and then the fact that it's based off of Shutakumi's actual dog. I mean, I just, oh, my heart, like my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Good boy. Good boy. Yeah. If you've never played Ghost Trick, one of a lot, frankly, of underrated games on the Nintendo DS. There's so many unique and amazing experiences on the Nintendo DS that I think have gone unfortunately forgotten. That might be something that we have to talk about and maybe count down sometime in the future. But Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to my number one, ironically, also originated as a DS experience. There were a ton of dogs throughout Nintendo history that we had to think about for inclusion on our list. And we wound up doing a lot of research for this. And when you try to do research on Nintendo dogs. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. There is one title that you just cannot get away from. My number one really has to be the Nintendogs. I mean, I know some people might kind of like groan at that because they ended up making so many Nintendogs. But like, you, I mean, make no mistake, this game was actually originally designed like by Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, obviously it was meant to tap into that Tamagotchi, that Gigapet style uh, audience who had essentially grown up with the keychains in the late 90s and were now old enough to try something a little bit more mature. And I do know a lot of parents that used this as kind of a testing ground to see whether or not they should get a real life, an IRL dog or even cat for their child. So there there was actually a lot of practical real world application for this. Playing with these good boys in this game for many people led to getting actual IRL good boys. And right. for that alone, I've got to I've got to give it some props and ultimately, that's all it was, is it was just a caring sim for these adorably, painfully adorable little dogs. And like you said, they wound up releasing a thousand different iterations like they did with Guitar Hero. It felt like every band got their own Guitar Hero game. It felt like every dog breed wound up getting their own Nintendo Dogs release at some point, the vast majority of which on the Nintendo DS and 3DS. However, I will say there is a Switch release called Little Friends that is very much right. the spiritual successor to Nintendo Dogs. So if that's something you've thought about, something you want to try to reinvigorate the memories with, then Little Friends is actually available on the Nintendo Switch as this next generation Nintendo Dogs experience. But I can't really boil it down to just one breed. There were just so many to choose from. You had your Poodles and Dachshunds and Labradors. They even put in a Nintendog as an assist trophy in Super Smash Brothers. Granted, their only purpose in Super Smash Brothers is to annoy. But... Even doing that, though, they're adorable. (laughs) They are really adorable. (laughs) But even if one specific Nintendo wasn't characterized didn't have their own hero's journey i really just have to give it up to the nintendogs franchise an official first party nintendo series 
where essentially all you did was just care for your good boys. You fed them, you pet them, you played with them. And that was the entire experience was just to interact with the goodest boys you could find and raise. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's all we want. It really is. It's the closest you can get to an actual good boy. They just look how much people go insane when they add a pet dog button into games. They've done it in Fallout, and obviously we went nuts for it when you could do it in Hades. Imagine a game where that's all you did was care for your own little good boy or girl. And that's what Nintendogs is. And objectively, I felt like I had to put it at number one when it came to the goodest boys in Nintendo history. But who are your favorite good boys and girls in Nintendo history? Who are your good boys and girls IRL? Uh, send us some pictures. Actually, show us your Ooh. doggos. Yeah, we want to see your doggos. Yes. So send them to us on Facebook and Twitter. And let's all just collectively go, Aww. Oh, you can. Yes, you can send us dog pictures like on Facebook and Twitter at all in podcast whenever you would like to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, we have certainly spent a ton of time talking about dogs and swooning over all of the very good boys in Nintendo games. But as it turns out, there's quite a good reason to talk about cats this week. You are absolutely right, Seth. There's a lot of good reasons to talk about cats this week, mainly because of the massive info dump we got about Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury, an info dump that you actually kind of predicted last week when we saw that there was a brand new website for Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury that popped up on Nintendo's site. So hashtag Seth was right, obviously. But, you know, it turned out there we got a lot more info than I think we were even expecting leading up to the game's release here in a few weeks. And there is a lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and do the patented all-in breakdown. So this does kind of feel like the last big hurrah, the last kind of touchstone kind of moment in Mario's 35th anniversary celebration. The release, of course, of Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury coming February 12th. And there's a ton to be excited about. Nintendo, of course... Um, as mentioned, release the uh, information on a like new Nintendo Switch bundle coming out. Um, we've got two trailers, one just as sort of a Bowser's Fury reveal trailer, another seven minute like deep dive video. We're getting two Amiibo. Um, Cat Mario popped up on the eShop. I mean, it really feels like they're blowing this release out. Yeah, again, this is kind of coming toward the end of Mario's 35th anniversary. They've released the Game & Watch. They've released Super Mario 35, and that's actually going away here in a couple months. They've released Mario 3D All-Stars. They've released Mario Kart Live. This is really the last big major celebration of Mario's 35th anniversary, and they are appropriately really blowing it out. Just like you said, even the little touches of adding Cat Mario to the Nintendo eShop, that was just a great touch when I saw that for the first time. I actually, st I was talking to you, uh, as a matter of fact, when I saw that for the first time, I was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yes, it's, it's just it's such a nice touch. It just makes it feel like a complete experience. But 3D Mario games, 3D Mario content is so highly sought after. It's already been three years 
over three years, about three and a half years since the release of Super Mario Odyssey. Granted, we have seen the release of new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. We've seen the release of Mario 3D All-Stars with 64 Sunshine and Galaxy. So we had a pretty decent amount of Mario platforming content over the past year. But this is new stuff. This is never before seen stuff. The first new Mario platforming content since Odyssey. And it's got a lot of people really excited. And you know what? There's a lot of little things that could be hidden, could potentially be revealed. If you take a second and look at what these trailers have to offer. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, before even talking about Bowser's Fury, which is, which is the all new uh, content in here, um, the stuff that they've done to just the base game, I think is really fascinating. And that's some of the stuff that they highlighted in these trailers. So first of all, a lot of people have notated that the game is running a lot faster. And this is something that we pointed to back in the initial announcement. Um, People have notated the game looks like it's actually like twice as fast. Um, Just, you know, the way the characters move and animate the frame rate. It seems like they've really done a lot of work technically to the game, but also they have finally we we've kind of seen this pop up on the website and we've you know we've seen this in the eShop descriptions and stuff but finally we we've heard the like omnipotent voiceover over the trailer confirm that there is online co-op play in this game which is major yeah four player online co-op in a Mario platformer is going to be either the greatest or worst thing ever potentially <laughs> There are some fears out there that the the netcode, especially when you have four players running online, a lot of people play Smash Brothers online and they're worried the internet connection might be like that. I'm hoping that Nintendo has kind of learned their lesson when it comes to netcode and online play because, again, this is a major addition to this game. And I'm really excited about it. You and I are excited to play this game together. We just very much hope that it's a game that runs smoothly online because. Ultimately, I can see it going either way. Yeah, totally. And, and that's always the, the gambit here. But it was just so cool to have Nintendo officially confirm that, to actually see the screen of like creating your online lobby and stuff like this. I'm really hoping, you know, as a as a quick aside, I'm really hoping that they allow for a mixture of online and local play. Like what I really want, it would be so cool if like my wife and I could play locally on my Switch and, and play with you online all at the same time. I really hope that that's in there. Yeah, like we did with Cake Bash, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, I, I just, I love it when games are able to pull that off and I hope they do it here. But either way, online multiplayer is going to be major for this game. There is, of course, also local multiplayer and local wireless play uh, across multiple switches and multiple copies of the game. So they, they do kind of have the full breadth of multiplayer options here which is nice to see and have confirmed. Um, another thing that I think were you know, was a question on a lot of people's minds with this was how are they going to work around the Miiverse integration, the stamps that were present in Super Mario 3D World on the Wii U? Are they just going to cut it all together? Turns out, no, they're not. They're actually incorporating it into a brand new photo mode. 
Yeah, for those who've never played Super Mario 3D World and from the way that Nintendo has been putting out information about this game, it almost feels like they just assume nobody has. <laughs> right. But each stage in Super Mario 3D World had a collectible stamp in addition to all the other different things that you could get, like the green stars and so on and so forth. And the stamp would be used in what the Wii U had called the Miiverse, which was essentially kind of an online social messaging uh, service. It was kind of weird. Right. They, they Nintendo tried a few times to, to really make it a thing. It never really caught on, but they did try a few little gimmicks, and the stamps in Super Mario 3D World were one of those little things. And they were just, again, fun little stamps that you could add to your little Miiverse messages. It wasn't a big deal, but it was a cute little addition to the game. And we all thought that, well, there's no Miiverse anymore. There's no Miiverse functionality on the Nintendo Switch. Are they just going to take the stamps out? Are they going to do something new with them? Turns out they're actually doing a couple new things with them. It looks like they're all still going to be in the game where they were. But instead right. of adding them to some type of online messaging service. They have essentially imported wholesale the snapshot mode from Super Mario Odyssey, which I'm frankly here for. And I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the snapshot mode in Mario Odyssey, if you were somebody who was into that type of thing, I'm admittedly not, but I was still able to take some really cool snapshots in Mario Odyssey that I did post. I had, uh, oh man, I did this one really great fisheye picture in New Donk City with Mario wearing the shades and his Mario sunshine. Uh, it was great. <laughs> uh, but they have turned the stamps from a Miiverse thing into a snapshot thing. So you can collect the stamps and you can add the stamps into the background or even the foreground if you want. You can add them into the snapshots. So say you have a stamp of a of a star man. If you want to stop gameplay right in the middle of a stage, right in the middle of Mario jumping, and then pan the camera up, and then just put your stamp of the star man right above Mario to make it look like he's jumping toward that star man, that's, right. that's obviously a very rudimentary example, but that's essentially what they're doing, is they're giving you a pretty robust suite of options to create your own your own photos in Mario 3D World. And I can actually see a lot of people getting really, really creative with this. And something I'm almost just as excited for is the fact that in Mario 3D World on the Wii U, the stamps were black and white. However, they're full color here, which might not seem like that big of a deal, but the color scheme, the retro style color scheme of all of them is really hitting my nostalgia bone when I see a lot of these and I can't wait to use them. Yeah, no, it looks awesome. And like the way that you can like put them on the wall almost makes it look like like some art pieces or something like murals. It looks great. I, I'm super excited for that functionality. Super excited to see what people do with it. Excited to play with it myself. And I, I just can't wait to play the main game just in general again, because like you and I did everything there was to possibly do in the main game the first time around on Wii U. And I'm stoked to do it again. Yep. The game's wonderful. And like, even if that were all this package was, I think it would be great, worth your time, worth your money, uh, amazing game. But it's not the only thing this package is. And up until now, we did not have any real concrete details on what the new Bowser's Fury mode would entail. We've been able to speculate 
We've had some little breadcrumbs, but now we have got kind of a, a much more clear idea of what this mode actually is. Yeah, obviously Nintendo has been putting a lot of deluxe ports of Wii U titles on the Nintendo Switch. We've got New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. We've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. We've got Pikmin 3 Deluxe and a few others. But this one, uh, they're tweaking, obviously, the main game, of course. They're not necessarily adding too much to the main game, by all accounts. But kind of like what they did with a couple of their 3DS remasters, like the Mario and Luigi and Bowser's Minions on the 3DS, they're adding an essentially whole new adventure into the package here. And this one seems more in line with something like Mario 64 or Mario Odyssey. It isn't, it doesn't seem to be nearly as linear. It seems to be much more of an open world style adventure just in the Mario 3D world engine. And I, you know, Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy, Mario Odyssey. Turns out those are all pretty okay games. So <laughs> Nintendo wanted to right. really, yeah, Nintendo wanted to release more open world Mario platforming content. Uh, uh, yeah, that's something to be excited about. Totally. And, and to be completely, you know, just to be on the face of it here, I mean, I'm, we'll, we'll be referencing the official website quite a bit during this discussion. And I've got it right in front of me where they do describe it as a free roaming adventure where you're able to travel to various islands in Lake Lapcat. And um, so it is sort of, it seems like it's this massive open kind of island structure. And I mean, we, we can kind of make some assumptions about kind of the structure of the, of the mode itself. And we'll certainly get into that, but yes, this will be its own kind of open world mode separate from the main game. One thing to notate, even here in the official description, and I'll just read that for you right off the website. Mario is sent to Lake Lapcat, where everything is cat-themed, and Bowser has gone berserk. Team up with Bowser Jr. to help his dad chill out in this short, but action-packed, standalone adventure. Emphasis on the word short there. Yeah. Don't expect this to be like another full-blown campaign. I think, you know, I was sort of speculating somewhere in the avenue of three to five hours. Um I think that that's probably a little more realistic, especially since in their official kind of blurb, they're saying it's going to be short. I think that's good that they're tempering the expectations like that because right. people are always going to be getting their hopes up when they don't know. And especially when it comes to stuff like this, this is not Bowser's Fury plus Mario 3D World. This is right. Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. This is going to be a new adventure, but it's not going to be a full-sized game, obviously. This is just extra content. This is far and above what they ever needed to do in the Switch port of Mario 3D World. But this isn't, do, do not expect this to be the same size as the base game. That's just frankly not going to happen. I was concerned, admittedly, when I did see that initial two-minute teaser trailer because right. I felt that the the area that they were showing off in that initial teaser trailer did seem really samey from all the shots. I was noticing basically the exact same places, the exact same towers, just from a different angle. And I was worried, even though I knew it wasn't going to be a full-size adventure, I was worried that it was going to be something that you could beat in like an hour, hour and a half. And Right, sure. At, at, after watching the seven-minute trailer that we just got... A couple days ago, uh, 
I I do feel a lot better about the size of the content. I did get to see a lot more different stuff in there. So, I mean, I don't know if it'll be something to where you need to beat Mario 3D World to unlock Bowser's Fury, but I'm I'm really, really excited to play it. And I know it's just going to whet my appetite for Mario Odyssey too. Hey guys, Seth here from the editing room, taking a quick pause for a second, just because I wanted to say that literally the day after this discussion was recorded, the Japanese Super Mario account uh, confirmed that you will not need to finish Super Mario 3D World in order to unlock Bowser's Fury. Uh, it will be available to play right from the start. They actually show off the start menu. You can select it just right there without having to play through the base game first. Um, I wanted to leave this bit of the discussion in, however, because I do think it's still interesting and I think ultimately still will be the setup. So we stand by everything we said, but we did just want to acknowledge really quickly that yes, we are aware that it has been confirmed that uh, that you will not have to finish the main game in order to play Bowser's Fury. So, all right, back to the discussion. I'm sort of feeling like it is going to be unlocked after the main game, and, and here's why. Mario is sent to Lake Lapcat. That, to me, is interesting. That, to me, tells me that, like, after you defeat Bowser in the main game in what is probably my single favorite Bowser boss fight in the series. Really? I think so, yeah, honestly. Um, it's great. It's one of them anyway. It's it's definitely like top three. Anyway, that's a tangent. Uh, but he, <laughs> I think, goes off to this place, this, you know, cat-themed place, and is is just, you know, furious. He's gone berserk, as it says. And Mario is sent there, you know, teaming up with Bowser Jr., who is probably going to be the person that reaches out to Mario. It's always nice when we get a villain hero team up. And uh, to help his dad calm down from his defeat in the main game. That's sort of my my prediction. Um, and I think that's a major wrinkle that we can talk about just right off the, the start of it. Is that it is revealed that Bowser Jr. is going to be kind of a sidekick companion character to Mario in this adventure. Yeah, it was really, really interesting when they showed off Bowser Jr. in the initial trailer. We were like, oh, okay, another Bowser Jr. fight, whatever. Oh, they've given him his paintbrush back. Awesome. Cool. And then you immediately start seeing him helping Mario. And I'm sorry, what now? He's he's doing what now? He's a companion? Oh, um, right. okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. Sounds good. It almost looks like they're treating Bowser Jr. almost like Cappy. He doesn't look like he's going to be a full-fledged character with a full-fledged yes. moveset. But it, does, it turns out that in addition to helping Mario... Somebody, once you get Bowser Jr. added to your party, you can, it does essentially become a, a multiplayer experience at that point. You can apparently, Nintendo even encourages you to hand your Joy-Con off to a second player, your second Joy-Con off to a second player, and they can control Bowser Jr. Which we do think deconfirms online capabilities for, for this mode. Yeah. Um, we do think that sort of implies that this is going to mean that it is a local experience very much in the in the vein of Mario Odyssey where, yeah, you can pass the Joy-Con to somebody else. They can control Cappy for some kind of, you know, rudimentary but still enjoyable second player experience. 
but it is not going to be a full on, you know, online co-op experience. It seems like it's still really great to see Bowser Jr. in in a role like that in the official artwork on the website. Bowser Jr. looks really concerned for his father. There's this shot of Mario and Bowser Jr. Uh, presumably looking up at Bowser and Bowser Jr. has this really worried look on his face. So it would not surprise me at all if he was the one that brought Mario to Lake Lapcat, as you, you know, just mentioned. So, you know, obviously whatever's going on with Bowser is something that is cause for concern. Uh, right. At, at least as far as Bowser Jr. is concerned. But, you know, I, I am glad that even though it's more than likely not going to be online, I am glad that they took a game that's already heavily multiplayer and decided that this little extra adventure they were going to throw in there, they decided that they would also try to somehow work multiplayer into that as well. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really great for you know people who who did you know play Mario Odyssey in co-op or something like that, where it is just sort of a little extra bit of gameplay and even though I, I don't think bowser like you said i don't think bowser is gonna have a full move set it, it still should be pretty fun um but it is you know more than likely going to be a primarily single player experience um it seems like even just based on what we've seen and based on the descriptions here on the website um Again, it says here that in this free roaming adventure, you'll travel to various islands in Lake Lapcat to collect cat shines to reignite yep. lighthouses and clear darkened terrain. So that does seem to be kind of the ultimate goal of this adventure. And it's it's really, really good to see them continuing to show Mario Sunshine Love, especially since that the the locale of Bowser's Fury really feels like a Mario Sunshine-esque location and right you've got obviously it's lake lapcat it's very watery themed there's lighthouses all over the place so it makes sense that the design at least for the collectibles your power stars your power moons your shine sprites whatever it makes sense that they would also take keys from mario sunshine as well and it's it's it is really really nice to see a lot of people are still kind of waiting in some way for Mario Sunshine 2. And I think this is about as close as we're going to get for some time. But yeah, in addition to the normal cat shines, there also seem to be these cat metals or cat coins. Very different from the regular golden coins that you can collect in the vast majority of Mario games. These almost seem like star metal-esque collectibles from Mario 3D World and Mario 3D Land. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually something that we're not 100% on. We're pretty positive that the main cat shines will be used to power up these lighthouses, which, you know, because of the nature of the game, because of it being open world, um, I assume you can tackle these in any order you'd like. Uh, however, the kind of cat shine medals or whatever they're going to wind up calling them their, their purpose is a little less clear. Are they going to be functioning like blue coins where it's like a currency to get, you know, cat shines? Are they going to be some kind of collectible that maybe unlocks stamps for this mode? We don't know. Well, the star medals in Mario 3D Land were used to unlock levels. So for these, for these cat medals, for these cat coins, that could be their function. You may need them to unlock to progress. And then you have the cat shines, which serve as the the ultimate collectible. 
because the trailer did say, the information did say that the cat shines are what you are going to need to unlock the Giga Bell. Yes, yes, the Giga Bell, this enormous cat bell that sort of seems like it's placed like in the middle of the terrain. It's it's like a hub, a central point, a focal point, the ultimate goal to uh, to access this Giga Bell and become Giga Cat Mario to go toe to toe with Fury Bowser in a kaiju battle. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. If you haven't seen Fury Bowser yet, he looks amazing. Probably the coolest that Bowser has ever looked. And I'm including Giga Bowser in that from Smash Brothers. As a matter of fact, it Fury Bowser really gives off Giga Bowser vibes. Now anybody who's played a Yoshi game may have may get flashbacks to ginormous kaiju Bowser battles probably the most memorable one from Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World 2. And that's very much what it feels like in this game. You see this massive, upturned, darkened Bowser shell off in the distance. And at a few points throughout the course of the adventure, Bowser is going to awaken and go on an absolute rampage as Fury Bowser. And they use that word specifically, awaken. I thought that was interesting, especially since, you know the main kind of power-up when it relates to the cat power-ups is a bell. That's interesting to me. I could see that. Now, I originally thought when they released the two-minute trailer that that was just going to be kind of an end-of-the-game thing. You just collect all the collectibles, Bowser awakens, and then you fight him in a final boss fight. But no, that's not how it's going to work. This is apparently something that's going to happen multiple times throughout the course of the adventure. You'll get to a certain point in the game, and Fury Bowser will awaken, and you'll have to essentially just keep from getting roasted for a little while. Now, the way I think it's going to work, potentially, you said that you think we'll be able to to tackle these lighthouses, tackle these areas in Lake Lapcat in whatever way we want. I I wouldn't surprise me if there was something in regards to uh, using Fury Bowser to be able to progress. Because another one of the things we see in the trailer is the spikes and the attacks that Fury Bowser uses creating platforms to allow Mario to get to places that he wasn't currently able to. He'll throw the spikes off of his back and they'll lodge into the ground and create platforms for Mario to jump on while you're essentially trying to avoid Bowser's version, essentially, of the atomic breath. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was a little bit more linear. If you have to go through lighthouse number one and then after you beat that lighthouse, when you get that cat shine, when you unlock the light in that lighthouse. It wouldn't surprise me if that awakens Bowser and you go through this scripted sequence of him trying to beat you. You essentially have to lure him to the right area so that he throws his attacks out at you. And then once you're able to, once you, uh, once you have those spike platforms there, then you can use those to get to the next lighthouse and so on and so forth. But regardless of how it's going to work, We have been shown that that is something that is in the game, that you will use those attacks from Fury Bowser in some way, in some form, to get to places that you were not previously able to get to. Yes, I do have my own theory on this. And and what I think they're going to do with this is I think that that is going to be 
a hazard that does happen at certain points in the game. Of course, they've confirmed that. But I don't think it's going to be tied into accessing the lighthouses specifically. I think that the placement of those spikes or whatever to create platforms, as we see in the trailer, like you mentioned, I think that's going to be the way that you access certain challenges or certain areas that you wouldn't normally be able to access to get maybe even full on cat shines, but certainly like cat medals or whatever. Um, I don't think it's going to be tied into main progression and the way, and the reason I think that is because of the, uh, the game's amiibo functionality. The fact that you can scan the Bowser amiibo to immediately make Fury Bowser appear, which is something they didn't confirm in the trailer, but do confirm on the website. So, I think it's going to be a situation where it's like, oh man, like I want to make Fury Bowser appear post game to clean up some collectibles that I missed. Now I've got this amiibo functionality. I have a way I can make that happen. I, I That's sort of my theory on that. I don't know. We'll see. There's a few things that lead us to believe certain things are going to happen in the game. And there's a few really interesting things that kind of throw some things up in the air as well. Uh, I think one of the biggest things in that regard are these cats obviously lake lap cat is incredibly cat themed already as it is you've got cat themed trees and cheap cheeps and of course goombas and koopas but there are also some very conspicuously colored just cats yes that occupy the area around lake lap cat and that has caused a lot of speculation already across the internet as to what's going on with those and the general consensus is that these cats are somehow the other playable Mario characters from Mario 3D World. Because the cats, again, are pretty conspicuously colored. There is a green cat, there is a blue cat, there's a black cat, and there's a red cat, which do correspond pretty closely with the cat suit colors of the other playable characters from Mario 3D World, Luigi, Toad, Rosalina, and Princess Peach. Yeah, with the exception of like pattern you know, patterns that appear in some of their fur. Um, that is the color correlation. Exactly. The coincidence is too great. That's like, that's gotta be what it is. However, there is an anomaly and we see this cat, this, this cat character in the trailer. And we see them in official artwork here with the other cats on the website, a strange calico cat. And that's the biggest mystery. I think so far, who is the calico cat? If these other cats are like transformed versions of the other playable characters, who is this one? The fabled Calico Cat. Yeah, that has been driving a lot of the speculation online. Uh, obviously, we, we haven't even really been confirmed yet that the other cats are somehow these other characters from Mario 3D World. But a lot of people have already taken it to mean that. And if we're going to go along that thought line, then then the Calico Cat must also stand for another Mario character. It, just based on the Calico Cat's color scheme, my initial thought, and as I told you this a little earlier, my initial thought was it was Toadsworth. That's just what the, the color scheme reminded me of. I thought it was Toadsworth. That'd be awesome. Princess Peach's, you know, loyal advisor. I don't know. I've seen a few people speculate on how they thought the Calico Cat might be some sort of shop. Some uh, some place where you can right. use the the cat medals, the cat coins that we previously mentioned. I think there's an off chance that that will wind up unlocking a sixth 
playable character ultimately in the core game, which I would be kind of here for. I don't know if Toadsworth would be the best choice for a playable character. Uh, you mentioned that it could be Captain Toad, and I would absolutely play through the game a sixth time if you could unlock Captain Toad as a playable character in the main game. But based on the fact that all of the other cats, all of the other regular cats, have their colors corresponding very conspicuously to the other playable characters in the game, despite the fact that Cat Mario isn't necessarily calico-colored, he's more or less just a golden labracat. Uh, right. It almost makes me think that that cat, that calico cat, could somehow represent Mario in some way. In none of the imagery and none of the video that I've seen, I have not seen the calico cat and Mario in the same screenshot. We have seen the other cats directly interacting with Mario in some of the screenshots and specifically that initial reveal trailer, but we haven't seen the calico cat specifically interacting with Mario in any way. So if we're going to take it as these Mario characters have been turned into cats and they have to be transformed from their cat forms, then that Calico Cat could potentially be Mario's initial form when you start the adventure and toward the beginning of the adventure, he is somehow able to be transformed from his cat persona. Maybe Maybe that's what happens. Maybe Bowser is somehow able to get enough power to transform all of his enemies into actual cats. However, that power that he gets winds up overtaking him. And then Bowser Jr. winds up using a little bit of the power he can find to transform the Calico Cat back into Mario to start this adventure. My my personal sort of leading theory with the Calico Cat is that I think it is probably a brand new character. I think it is probably like not necessarily a shopkeep, even though I don't hate the idea that maybe you would spend these coins to potentially, you know, use their power or whatever to revert the, you know, the other playable characters from the main game into a, you know, into a human in air quotes, I guess, state. Um, but I, I sort of feel like this character is going to be kind of the representative of Lake Lapcat, as it were. Like the kind of, you know, because Lake Lapcat sort of has to have like a a denizen, like a like somebody there to use as a sounding board for the way that it's supposed to be. Kind of like when you go to a, a different like galaxy or a different planet in Mario Galaxy, they have like indigenous, you know, life forms there there are like people there that you can kind of use as like a touchstone to talk to i almost feel like this character is going to be that for lake Lapcat. this character is going to kind of know what's going on this character is going to be like oh wow like this the the whatever weird black spiky goop on bowser like this is you know this is what it is and this is how we're going to have to defeat it i i think that this character might be kind of the sounding board guide character of Bowser's Fury, but but that's just a theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of speculation to be had. Ultimately, the cats may not do anything. Obviously, we just talked about the wonderful They might just little, be cats. Yeah, they might just be... You know, obviously, the little Sheba that we talked about in Super Mario Odyssey did have a little bit of gameplay attached to him and the fact that he helps you find power moons uh, around the different maps that he showed up in. So it could somehow 
be something into that regard. Maybe in some of the different, you go to the different lighthouses and one of the cats follows you and they help you find one of the cat shines or one of the cat medals or cat coins. Totally. Yeah. That, that's a good idea. Yeah. I could totally see that. But we can definitely say a few things for sure. Uh, Plessy is coming back. That's already been confirmed. Plessy from the core yes. Super Mario 3D world has already shown up a couple times in the media for Bowser's Fury. Uh, this massive Gigantamax battle between Giga Cat Mario and Fury Bowser, that's going to serve, that's, that is going to serve as the final boss fight of the game. I imagine that will only happen once. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually, so there's a section here on the website, which again, I will link to this website in the episode description because it's worth kind of exploring for your own, not only because there's a my Nintendo mission linked with finding stamps on it, but uh, there's some really good information there. So I, I think you guys should check it out. Um, but here on the website in the Bowser's Fury section, it says Clash of the Giants. When Bowser is in full fury, which I guess is what they're just, they're just calling that state fury, I guess, he can be pretty scary. Luckily, Mario can match his might with the Giga Bell, which lets him transform into the mighty Giga Cat Mario and go toe-to-toe with the monstrous Bowser in a titanic battle of biggies. So yes, I do think this is going to be like the culmination of, of that experience. And I really hope that even though the adventure is probably not going to be more than five hours long, and even that's probably stretching it a little bit, right. uh, when it comes to 3D Mario games, ultimately, you are given more collectibles than you need. And when it comes to the Gigabell and unlocking the Gigabell, very obviously, there are four beams of light that come from off screen when they show the Gigabell being transformed into its collectible state. And those, I think we can take to mean, I think those beams of light are are supposed to be coming from the different lighthouses that you travel to throughout the course of this little adventure. 100%. Just like the power moons and power stars and shine sprites and, and presumably even the cat shines here in Bowser's Fury, they will be... You know, you'll have to collect so many of them to unlock an individual lighthouse to unlock its power or something, you know, maybe four or five possibly, but more than likely there'll be maybe eight or 10 in any given area. At least that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's not the some simple fact where you just have to collect two or three for an area and there's only two or three because in all, right. in all the other free roam Mario games, you, you'll only need like 60 power stars to beat the game, but there's 120 of them in the title. So I'm hoping that that trend continues, even with a smaller pair, uh, even with a more pared down adventure like this. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's another reason why I hope that the, the, the sort of like transformative elements that come from Bowser when he is in his fury state, that's why I'm kind of hoping that those kind of give Mario access to special areas that he couldn't get to normally so that you could get like some hidden cat shines or, or whatever. I, I really do hope that there is more than meets the eye here, more, more like meat on the bone. Um, I, I don't want it to just be like a simple linear kind of like you get two or three cat shines, you light the lighthouse, rinse and repeat four times and fight the boss, you know? That wouldn't really be true to the structure of the games they are trying to emulate here. And that, I think, is the biggest, 
I don't want to say red flag, but I think it's the biggest worry of a lot of people because Nintendo clearly knows how to make a 3D Mario game, especially a free roam 3D Mario game. However, this is going to be a very different experience than all of the other 3D Mario games out there because this is essentially an indie game sized version of that. This is a much right. more pared down adventure than something like Mario 64, Mario Galaxy, Mario Sunshine, Mario Odyssey. We're not exactly sure how deep the rabbit hole is going to go in this, but I mean, ultimately we know it's going to be fun. I think all of the speculation is just us hoping that the experience doesn't end too soon. Yeah, man, I'm so excited for this. And, and look, I mean, we don't have long to wait. The game comes out February 12th. That's you know less than a month away at this point. And, um, you know, you can pre-order now. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Nintendo's really kind of rolling out the red carpet for this last big hurrah for Mario's 35th. I could not be more excited for this. But what do you guys think? Are you excited to play the new Bowser's Fury? Are you excited to replay or potentially play for the first time Mario 3D World? Reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, we're on Facebook at All In Podcast. You can also catch us at Twitter at All In Podcast. And again, please do subscribe to All In a Nintendo Podcast on whatever service you happen to be listening to us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us each and every week. We genuinely want to hear what you guys have to say. But I think we may have spent enough time in the animal kingdom this week. We've been talking <laughs> frogs and cats and dogs for, for a couple hours now. I mean, you know, I'm all about animals. I love animals. Uh, but this has been a, a wonderfully zoological-themed episode at this point. This this episode is is positively zoo books. <laughs> you guys remember zoo books? Oh, God, zoo books, man. You're sending me back. But ultimately, I think that will do it for us this week. Guys, I have been Yuka Eric and the Impossible Lair. And I have been Seth, the champion of Champions Road. And we will see you guys next week for another brand new episode of All In.